Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Watches His Dark Materials, Series 2, Episode 7, Issa Hader, featuring Cam, our friend, at Candid59 on Twitter. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, again, today, we have another, another one of your hosts. <sighs> I'm so excited. Hello, Cam. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you. Hello, hello. Yes, it's Candid 59, not Arion 69. <laughs> it's right there oh, that's staring really at me. So were you born in 1959, Cam? Because I've no. been trying to understand what the 59 means in your username. We actually have. Oh, well, okay. I was born 59, um, but also my parents were born in 1959. So it's kind of like a cool coincidence, too. Both of them. So. Oh. That's what it means. Maybe that. That's it. That could be Arian Bacar's reasoning for being Arian 69 on Oh, Twitter. do we think his parents are born in 69? Hmm. <laughs> Wait, no, he was no. born in 71. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is going uh, great. Well, I mean, he could have been born, he could have been born 69, which <clears throat> in, well, for us, we would think it's June 9th, but for him could very well mean September 6th. But uh, he's still he not. He was born July 1st, yes. 1971. Well, I'm just putting shit. it out there. There's only one explanation. There's only one explanation for his <laughs> Only one. He's a time traveler. Mm. Mm, I mean, that's one way to think about think about that. Time traveling in that pussy. Oh my god. So, we're so excited to have our friend Cam who... Cam is more than responsible for realizing this odd discrepancy in Arian Bacar's username. Cam is full of wonderful insights. Makes me sad every week on the internet. Talks about Will and Lyra all the time. It's horrible. It's going to be a great episode. I'm excited. Cam, please tell everyone where we can find you besides Twitter. I know you have an AO3 because I looked through all of your favorited AO3 pieces today. <laughs> um... I, I can't believe, first of all, I can't believe you you went there. That's quite a deep dive. Um, but no, I don't have any fanfic because I don't write, um, luckily for everyone. Um, <laughs> you guys can just find me at Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's at Candid59, C-A-N-D-I-D 59. And again, very excited to have you on. So excited to get extremely sad because a lot of sad stuff happened in this episode so that is of course something to say our spoiler warning main trilogy of his dark materials and a little bit of spoiling on the novellas that are side pieces and super 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 light references to the sandwich companion trilogy book of dust trilogy uh which is la belle sauvage the secret commonwealth and a unnamed but on its way book Yes, so tune out now if you are not caught up on that, or if you are unwilling to be spoilered. Unwilling to be spoilered. If you have lost your free will to be spoiled. Freedom. I'm just glad someone. that Sandwich Trilogy is catching on, which I think like it kind of works, you know, because we get a little a little callback to the bacon sandwich this episode, so things are things we are do. working out. They're looking up for me. Well, another thing looking up for you is that Series 3... The coverage of the Amber Spyglass from BBC's HBO's His Dark Materials was confirmed recently. Literally, like, yesterday was confirmed. Yeah. Yes. It is incredibly exciting. It's a very recent, and I think it's... I'm just so glad. You know, it was so, 
this past season was so good, and I'm very excited to see how they bring the Amber Spyglass to life. And right now it sounds like they said they're at about, what, eight episodes, but with a question mark. I think they're planning to only do eight episodes. Yeah, Jack Thorne mentioned that he thinks he can do it in eight, and that six of the episodes are already outlined and written, and he's submitted them, and that the final two are outlined right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, he said that it fits well, actually. I saw him, I don't know if Hmm. it was like a a tweet argument or what was going on, but I did see some tweets where he said that, oh, no, it fits perfectly, actually, so far. So I don't know. All right. We'll see. I know. That's quite a challenge. (laughs) It's a lot. I don't know. I think that's a lot. And this is coming from like Game of Thrones fans, right? Like that was maybe could have used a season to marinate, you know, I don't know. So I hope that they do it. And you know what? Who am I to say they can't? Because we just watched series two play out and it was amazing. Uh, They made time for some special stuff, some new stuff. And I think, I don't know, I think it was way better than series one and not like series one was bad. Just I think series one was an entry level piece of fantasy media. Uh, and it did its job. It followed the books pretty well. And it wasn't bad or anything. But it was just that. It was series one. But series two was pretty good. Pretty epic. Yeah, for sure. I I like that they introduced or added writers into... Or added more writers on board. So that really definitely showed yeah. in the writing as well. Mm-hmm. That's true. Really good. It did. It did. And, you know, I'm hoping we have, like, similar room, etc. for next season and i mean i think part of why i want more than eight episodes it's not just like the spacing and the pacing right it's kind of just like (laughs) i think that they did do a really good job with series two and i'm like i just want more right yeah for sure i did notice (sighs) this season the the episodes did seem like 10 minutes shorter so they descended it started off at like 50 something minutes and then by the end it was like 46 (laughs) minutes just putting that out there not that i'm counting but i was counting yeah so i mean if they do have eight episodes and they use the full hour that's kind of like gaining like another episode that they didn't use for season two that's true so that could be yeah something hopefully that'll help with the time I do wonder if, like, the shorter episodes, right, were those scenes, mm-hmm. like, they weren't able to get to film because of... That's what I was wondering. You know, this oh, yeah. pandemic. <laughs> well, and so much got... So they, they mean, they only filmed four hours of the bottle episode, right? And the last part of the bottle episode we'll talk about later because it was in this episode. But they had to move things around and redistribute some plots. So I also wonder, Eliana, to that extent, if that is why... I know that some scenes were, you know, reshot in smaller coordinations or et cetera. So I'm wondering, especially like this episode, uh, the Ruta Scotty stuff we're going to talk about. Because I'm like, that's great. But wait a second. If episode five was the bottle episode, question mark, what happened? You know, I'm just curious of the order. So I don't know. But I think it'll, uh, it could even, I think they have to use the full hour next time. Because like you said, a whole hour missing. Two I mean, hours, a lot happens, happens. if you think yeah. about it. Yeah, two. Yeah. Two. I don't want to. But <laughs> two hours, two fingers, yeah. all of it missing. Everything's fast, connected. Too furious. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> too fast, too fast. Talk about some dust. <laughs> uh, isn't that like the tagline of too fast, too furious, eat my dust or something? I don't know. Oh, I didn't realize there was a tagline. I thought they were just called it too fast, too furious. No, I was literally making that up, Eliana. Oh, <laughs> I... <laughs> What the I, fuck? I, I trust I you believe it. Yeah, I'm, I'm oh, pretty good. So. 
I'm a regular Lyra Silvertongue, you know? Yeah. Well, speaking of Silvertongue and speaking of Lyra, our favorite girl, what about your favorite part of the episode? Eliana, what was your favorite part of the episode? I know you have to have a favorite part. I don't know. It's so hard. Everything was so sad. Um, I loved all of it because it was sad. I don't know if I liked it. Well, I liked it because it was well done, but it wasn't like it made me feel bad. Um, so I guess it's a it's a it's a toss up between obviously like Will and his dad those scenes, but also I think there was a great. This is going to sound bizarre that this was also one of my favorite scenes. The scenes where like Lee holds the cloud pine and calls Seraphina, and he's like. Do you think that's enough? <laughs> and then, and then he's like, oh, I fucking, like, the look on his face is like, I fucking hope so. And then he goes back out there and turns out it was enough, though. But he's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. That cloud um, pine was really tiny, too. Like, right. Yeah. I would have lost that. <laughs> and if you've never, like, done magic, are you like, did I do it? Did I do magic? Because you can't see anything. Do you blow on it after? God, I I know. And that was like, the cloud pine was really small, but that is, you know, an example of how much he cared for Serafina Pakala. I'm just putting that out there, that that's an example of his care for his girlfriend before he died, you know. <sighs> yep. It's so fucking sad. I'm so fucking sad. God. Yeah, that was probably my favorite part that uh my ship my otp uh got oh, to be cannon on screen and then yeah. died immediately that's my favorite ship you know uh i love ships where they just die immediately after they're made cannon real fun but that was good but it was made cannon i mean peckles being I, that was not look even if yeah. he's dead i mean that the kiss yeah hand on the chest the sadness yeah. like this could have been us but i was playing i don't know Pecklesby, Arrow Witch, it was the OTP. Now it's over. Yeah, you got a forehead kiss. That's a big win in my book. That's a thank you. <laughs> I, I uh, in his was. art materials, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Most sexy action we've had on screen <laughs> besides like when Coulter killed Boreal. That was also very That was hot. actually really very hot. sexy. Very erotic. Oh. I was feeling erotic. Yeah, it's literally though, it's like Marisa and Boreal. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> But really, that's about the most sex we've had, right, this series. That's uh, the, yeah. the, the forehead kiss and the Boreal and Coulter kiss. Last series, we had Coulter and Asriel's make-out swoon, yeah. which was good. But this was this was the sex appeal, and uh, that was my favorite part. Yeah. All right, Cam, bring it home. Bring it home. Well, I mean, nothing really good happened on this episode, but <laughs> I do. You guys know me. I love sad parts, and so I'd have to go with. <laughs> The, with also the Will and his dad reunion, if I have to pick like one small part, it is those hero shots of Will wearing his dad's jacket. That looked pretty cool. Yeah, it was. I think I screamed. No, I didn't scream, but you know, it was like a. <gasps> so when I saw that, oh, I cried. Oh, I. Oh, I was. I was crying throughout those last minutes. So. <laughs> It was authentic, like, my emotion yeah. during all that. Like, even uh, all of it, like, that last 20-minute run, I was legitimately shaking my <laughs> arms, and my boyfriend was sitting next to me, and he was just like, oh! And I was, like, going, <clears throat> with my hand covering my mouth, like, my arms flapping like a fucking harpy. I don't know what was going on. I was very excited. It was very authentic, yeah, though. Yeah, <laughs> it was a lot. I yeah, I didn't even expect it to be that much, but it was, it was good. 
It was good. It was really good. Yeah. And I mean, like, they... It wasn't what I expected at the end, but not in a bad way. Obviously, we expected Mm -hmm. a couple more things, and we can talk about that later. Oh, yeah, for sure. Everything I expected happened, except for the Mulefa. (laughs) (laughs) And and the two angels, but we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that too. That too. (laughs) Okay. What about your favorite part of the series? Like, in total. I know this is a big one, because the whole goddamn thing was good, but the whole authority damn thing was good. So, it was hard to pick just one, and I think it's going to be one of the ones from, like, the previous episodes, right? It's either, like, the Will and Joppery, like, door parallels, which I think was good, and that's, like, a nice, cool, deep one to make me seem like I'm real, like, intellectual and shit, but, like, really, it's actually uh, Lyra in the multicolored cape coming out and panting, like, yes! So excited, like, that's it! That's the outfit, and, like, yeah, Her hype man! <laughs> absolutely that's i mean soulmate shit. i wear those kinds of outfits i actually want to see you in like a wild hat i think that's next like a wild but what about you chloe what is your favorite part of the season witch reconstruction right i mean holy yeah. shit i so i i drove a handful of hours to see my mom and uh on the way i listened to series one and series two soundtracks I just had that baby oh. shuffling. Damn. And the track when Ruda goes all crazy, right? She goes wild on uh, the Magisterium guys with the just the end of the episode, which if you are into the music of His Dark Materials, you'll be able to hear us with the Dust podcast by the end of the month on our Patreon for patrons in the Stranger tier and above at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. You'll be able to hear us talk all about the music from this series. I will be listening to it on repeat for another 12 hours soon. So stay tuned. Check out there for that. But the track when Ruta kills the Magisterium guys, you have the strings at the end. They're just like, boop, 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 boop. And it's like so fast and so like, bam, done. Done with that shit. Magisterium guy dead. It's so good. Just her murdering the Magisterium guys. And then also the fact that she still hasn't talked about Asriel's dick. She's talked mm. about Asriel, but not as, not like Thank how oh, Asriel's so charismatic and I'm going to go join. There's been none yeah. of that. And it's amazing. Yes. It's am- uh, And it's very obvious that they are doing that intentionally with the witches and that they like, I don't know if it's just their own personal feelings or also listening to fan complaints, but the witches needed some work. We know that. We know that maybe they had a few things in the books that may not have been perfect. And I think for the most part, they have really mediated on a lot of that. And they've said, no, we're not doing that. And they changed it. And I think it was great. I just think it was good. Uh Can't wait to see next series. Good job. Good work. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's made a huge difference having Jane Tranter, you know, as executive producer, mm-hmm. or like a woman like at the highest levels of of uh, the direction of the show. And I mean, mm-hmm. and having, yeah, having women in the writers room makes a huge difference in how like all of this comes across and the choices that are made, which are good choices. You know, I've seen television adaptations of women where it used to be good and then it was bad. And yeah, I just think about the Samuel L. Jackson in The Avengers when he's like, I recognize the council has made a decision, but given that it's a stupid-ass decision, I've elected to ignore it. And that's <laughs> how I feel about the witches in the HDM TV show. They're great. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Cam, what you got? Mine is Pan. I love Pan this season. <laughs> yes! He's, yes. he's so good. I love him as Red Panda. I love that we got to hear him talk a lot and... uh I also like 
that they kept the same actor, mm-hmm. and I had to like check if it was the same actor, and it is, and he's doing really great. I also, I don't know, it kind of makes me like wonder how they film those, or like when they do voice acting, like do they just mm-hmm. watch the scenes and he just records his voice? Because I don't know, it's like interesting that he's able to to really play off the actors, but they're not really there to act off of. But yeah, that's just something I'm wondering. I know that Cristela Alonso did a lot of the voice acting, like, at oh, home yeah. this year because of COVID and everything uh, and, like, reshoots and stuff. And I know that she set up, like, a home studio, I think, from what she tweeted about and that she was, like, acting out oh, of the yeah, closet. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm guessing, but I don't, I know that was only probably part of the year, right? And a lot of that can probably be done in mm-hmm. the after. So I wonder if most of that was done in the after. For sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't actually know. I have been wondering how they do that because you know the the actors do such a great job of acting off of their demons in many ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we've talked a lot about Cristel Alonso and also Fleabag as um, <laughs> actors for the demons. Um, and you know, props to Kit Connor who just like Lyra, who just like Daphne Keene and Amir Wilson is also a young actor, right? Mm-hmm. He's about sixteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's been doing. A great job as a small, various different kinds of animals. Yeah. yeah. So, mostly a red panda this season. Yeah. Fluffy. So yeah. fluffy. And he looks he looks great. I love I love the close up shots of him. You could see like every like fur. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so hair. great. Yeah. All the detail on the panda, especially. Even in the finale, especially, there were some yeah. really great shots where we got pandas like boop. <laughs> And also, like, his little ears twitching. I don't know if you all saw, uh, so Jack Thorne did his uh, Q&A shortly mm-hmm. after the episode aired in the UK and was talking about, oh, I forgot who it was. Uh, maybe it was Joel Collins. Joel Collins. Yeah, it was Joel, I think. Um, yeah. Who was advocating when they were trying to bring oh. to, like, what should, what, what, what demon should Pan be for the most part throughout the season? And they landed on a red panda, and he was, like, advocating hard for it, drew a sign with a little red panda <laughs> around it to champion his cause, apparently. Yeah. I'm not trying to play favorites, right? Because, obviously, we have a friend in the prop department we're okay with, <laughs> but Joel is pretty good, man. He's, a uh, he's funny as hell. Like, all of his tweets when he took over on the Q&A a while back were great. And, uh, I, I don't know, the visual stuff that was done, not just with some of the production design from him, but even, like, painting practice, all of the work they did for the visual mediums this series was far out. The details were intensely amazing, and I can't wait to get into them. Yeah. Yeah, but did he dress in a strange orange suit with a top hat? <laughs> and okay. I don't... I don't know, Cam, what was that? Do you know what that was referencing? Because I still don't understand. Jack Thorne? Yeah, His Jack suit. Thorne's outfit. Oh, I don't know. I I just, like, <laughs> I was like, how dare... When he posted that picture, I was like, how dare you? Like, <laughs> after, <laughs> after what you just <laughs> What's did. What's happened here? <laughs> but I don't know what the picture is about, so... <laughs> I was just like, I don't understand what's happening I don't. in this uh, image, Jack Thorne. Um, <laughs> I know. Please, please send your answers to please. at Girls Gone Canon. <laughs> or, and also that at Candid59, who quote-tweeted it with Sir. Yeah. Sir? CC me, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I do wonder what the... Uh, <laughs> I, I wonder why they advocated. There was an interview with, I think it was Russell Dodgson, and he did kind of talk about red pan or the different forms of pan 
of Pan. I don't know if mm. you guys read that interview. I could totally, I could definitely link it. So this is from Russell Dodgson. And he says, oh, the red panda works well with Pan's traditional forms because they're sweet. They're part bear and part mustelid, just like pine martens. The red panda's slight adolescent clumsiness works really well to capture the sense of a teenage girl who's just met an intriguing boy and they're exotic. Aww. Reflecting Lyra's strange new surroundings. So. Oh. Yeah. My heart. I know. I know. I love it. I love the amount of detail and the amount of care. Yeah. That is the big thing. The amount of care that has been given to this story, which I didn't get to grow up with it necessarily, but I know obviously, Eliana, you fell in love with it from a young age and so many people have just grown up with this being their childhood. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we have a series where the people that are writing for it give a shit and the people that create the outfits and the props and the sets give a shit and the writers give a shit and also are diverse and think about different ways they can bring people in and not just that but also a diverse mm -hmm. cast mm -hmm. and they give the cast ways to expand even people like carlo boreal what the hell is carlo boreal gonna do on a screen well ariana car just sex. did it Ugh. that's yeah be <laughs> fucking hot but uh gonna be an annoying fuck boy that also happens to be hot but no like it it, it was so good nothing i i couldn't expect in my head how they would have fixed the witches even though i have yeah. 800 ways to fix them and yet they did it differently and better than i would have so i'm just grateful very grateful yeah. hashtag grateful hashtag grateful. blessed and i mean yeah we've cam, been burnt before yeah exactly cam also grew up right i did uh with this series I, it sounds like we read them at around the same time similar ages Clock. so yeah. Cute. Oh my gosh. What if you're me in another world, or I came from another world <laughs> <laughs> on, on the East Coast? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I'm wow. so conflicted. Which one of you am I in love with? Oh no. <sighs> <sighs> no, I'm just kidding. It's Eliana, yeah. but you're you're out there, Cam. No, Keep it up. I want you to be loyal, <laughs> Eliana. <laughs> If my demon gets touching yours, I, I was mean, like, this is too much work and pressure. For, for <laughs> um, it is. It is. She's like, this is a commitment. I know. Marriage is a commitment. It is. Well, I think we're ready, to, speaking of commitment, to commit to the episode. Let's jump in. Let's get into it. I'm sad. I'm ready to talk about it with you all. And we kind of start off with a pretty hard open. Yeah. Right? We have Raina Meaty, who is recovering from her specter attack, which I was very excited to see them carry over and have it mean something. Some shows don't like to do that. You know, have things mean things. We have a quote from Raina Meaty that is, When they had hold of me, I felt numb and so cold. Life or death meant nothing. The witches then plan to depart the world once they find Will's father. Will's pretty against it, right? And uh, at first, I didn't really think about it deeper than I needed to, especially with the last two episodes. He's been frustrated with his hand, and he just has been like, no, I don't want to go anywhere, Lyra. Let's not go. But I guess here it's pretty obvious he's really against them going to another world, not just for reasons of it being insane, but also like kind of obvious throughout the episode, like losing his mom and never being able to get back to her like his dad did. Uh, finding his father and not being able to let him go, uh, becoming like his father, right? Like, he's afraid of that idea of just never coming back. But here specifically, it also is reminiscent of Lyra's reading of the Alethiometer. It hasn't really been often, but the times we've seen it in this series, it's been reiterating Will's importance as the knife bearer and his connection to Chidigatse. So as his path is moving forward, as he learns at the end of this episode, and it 
way different way than what he expected. Uh, it wasn't just, Will, you're important to Chirigatse, which is what he's thinking. It was also, Will, you're important to the whole grand picture. Like, you have to help attack dethrone God, buddy. I don't think he was expecting that. I think he just thought this knife was like, you gotta go fight specters and Chirigatse all the time. And he's meant for much greater. He's meant to pick up a mantle, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was like, I gotta get this knife because it's gonna help Lyra. <laughs> get her lithiometer back and I can meet my dad. He's just like, I don't know, it's a cool knife, I can probably cook things better with it. Actually, he could. Cook things. That's against the rules. That is against the four basic rules. We talked about this, Eliana. I don't think cooking is base, but that's just my opinion. Hmm. It is art. It's a no base knife purposes. It is high art. Oh my god. He's gotta eat, though. Lyra's gotta eat. Yeah. Feed that girl. But yeah. From there, we move on to Ruda eavesdropping on the cliff gas, and they are crawling and speaking of war. I'm so excited we got this scene. I, it was such a small scene that I was like, what? We're getting the cliff gas scene from the books? Very evil monkeys in Wizard of Oz. Honestly, mm-hmm. they look very much like the monkeys. They have a cute, ugly little face. I love it. And we did see them in the preview. We saw this shot in the preview of them scaling yeah. the wall. In the trailers, we talked about it, and I was like, I almost wondered if they were cliff ghasts or harpies. Turns out they're ghasts, and very cute. You can kind of see their, like, fabric-y legs, which is kind of funny, but real cute. Real cute. Yeah, and um, I know. I, I thought that they would be cute. They weren't cute in the way that I thought, and I couldn't tell if one was older than the others, but they were still cute. And I thought it's interesting that you were talking about them being monkey-like, because there was a point in the episode where I was like, oh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of... Uh, I mean, we get a lot of monkey stuff throughout this episode and the entire series. That's a great point. I didn't really think about that. Hmm. Uh, yeah, with, with Coulter, too, acting like a monkey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that is very much right. Like, her sicking the monkey, for example, is totally... You think of Coulter as the evil witch sicking her monkeys, right? Or, wait, oh, Coulter with the specters. Fly, my pretties. Oh, that oh, is actually that yes. scene, yep. Thank you. I am a, a, a luminary community, <laughs> everyone. Just no, but it is. It, and I don't know. I feel bad for the monkey. I don't want to call him those monkeys, but we'll get to him. Poor monkey. There were no Mulefa in the intro, y'all. There were no Mulefa in the intro. I looked very hard. <laughs> I slow-mo watched. I put my face up to the screen. What was the point? What was the point, you know? Yeah, I, I talked myself for two seconds. I was like, is the... The elephant symbol that's been there the whole time about the movie, but then I was like, no, it's not. But <laughs> yeah, uh, the only thing I did notice I that was them. new, or it looked, it was new to me in the rewatch, was the waterfalls because I think we got mm. to see them. Oh yeah, yeah, we got to finally see them in this episode. So I was like, oh, so that's what that was about. So that was pretty cool when I did my rewatch. Okay. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I was just like, huh, there's been water there. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> like, this is, I don't know where this is, but. That's yeah. fun. That's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the gulch the whole oh, time. Oh, no. <sighs> no. They were always coming to this. They're, they're actually, I feel like every week I find something new in the intro, even That's though yeah. I watch it every week. Maybe they're sneaking new things yeah. into it and you think they're seeing something new and we're not, but I don't know. Uh, like, I, don't know. I mean, this was there, I think, a few weeks ago and I kept forgetting to bring it up. Like, um, 
so at, right after right the two lines as the intro starts collide right we see the little burst of dust and it's the angel wings in it i never noticed there's like this one stream of dust that seems to form like swoosh and looks kind of like the omega symbol yeah. right above like mm-hmm. right in between the those wings so um it's very subtle if you will um <laughs> and I've never really considered also the significance until recently. Maybe maybe someone else has uh, that the single symbol on the lithiometer that we see the dust forming mm-hmm. and cre- actually creating is the alpha and omega symbol, which is often used to allude to God. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's interesting because it feels like everything in this intro has mostly finally come to life in this sure. series, right? In series yeah. two. Like, uh, we, we saw the Alpha and Omega symbol featured in the cave. It was very prominently featured in that one episode where you saw them overlaid just mm-hmm. like that to symbolize God and all the stuff happening on the cave in general, right? But it, it feels like the cave was the biggest part of that. It brought the intro to life completely this series. I'm excited to see what we add to the next one. I know, obviously, the Amber Spyglass might be our next flipping around on the screen yeah. zoom in. And I can't wait to see... That design. That is going to be a prop design for yeah. the ages. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm going to buy all of them. When they come out with collectibles, I'm buying all of them, motherfuckers. I'm, buy- I'm going to buy 10 of them. I don't even care. I'm going to use blanket. them every day. What about a blanket? Colin? And a blanket. Uh, <sighs> foreshadowing. It is... They did, you're right, bring the intro into the series. I think there's only there's few series that I've seen that do it that well. One of them, in a very, very different manner, but that did it well, was Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Hmm. Very hmm. different vibe entirely. <laughs> But yeah, I've got to finish that. I got through like five episodes. Oh, I love it. It's one of my favorite series. Highly recommend. I'll go back. I'll go yeah. back to it. I love that intro for sure. HDM, not Crazy Ex. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't remember how Crazy Ex Girlfriends go, but I did watch a couple of episodes too. I, the, the singing. There was singing, right? Yeah. Crazy? Oh, yeah. There, there is. Is there music? Yeah. It's a musical. Yeah. It's one of those. Hmm. We gotta get an HDM musical episode. <laughs> they did. They did. You said those plays. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Will receives a vision of Joppery and talks to Pan. His father is summoning him, and Will tells Pan that Lyra is his best friend, and Pan says, "You're hers too." <laughs> Beautiful moment. I was like, wow, they're really just going to start, they're just going to do this Yeah, they just did that, because I was wondering uh, if we'd get that, I think I knew we were going to get that scene, but I didn't know it was going to be so soon in that episode. Isn't it jarring when they do these (laughs) scenes that you know you love, and like, you're in, but like, and maybe, again, maybe this is literally trauma from Game of Thrones, but like, I don't expect them to do the scenes I love. I don't expect the good shit to yeah. come to the screen. And then all of a sudden they'll be like word for word quoting <laughs> the books. And I'm like, what the fuck? I was thinking that too, especially with the Hester scene where she said, you know, we <laughs> we held out. And I was like, wow, they did the whole quote. Amazing. I mean, it's classic. You can't ruin a classic quote if you're given a amazing fantasy series and you have a quote that anyone can quote to you from this fantasy series because everybody that's read it knows it, right? Like your sister. But uh, you can't just fuck up those quotes. Like they're, It's like, what if Han Solo looked at Leia and didn't say I love you at the end? You know what I mean? And she didn't say I know. Like, what are you doing? What? It's a different situation, but it's, like, just wrong. So I'm really glad they did that. And I love that, like, 
I don't know, they read all the lantern slides, they read the novellas, they read everything, and they put in all these tiny details. Like for Lee, as we're going to get to lots of Once Upon a Time in the North, and even here, this little scene from the books where Will tells Pan how Lyra's his best friend, uh, it reminds me of this lantern slide from the end of The Subtle Knife. I want to say we've talked about it recently, but we're going to bring it back up because I'm <laughs> sad. And that is... Chitagatse under the moonlight, deserted, silent, open, the colonnades drenched in soft shadow, the casino gardens so perfectly clipped and swept, the gravel paths, every house lit, every door open to the warm night. It was the first place Will had ever felt entirely safe and entirely welcome and entirely at home. Lonely, yes, at first, but he lived in that condition like a fish in water. He would never know how inconceivably strange he appeared at first to Lyra. <sighs> cool. So we're all sad. Everyone yep. feeling good? It only gets okay. worse. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're making our way. Uh, I did like when Pan, when he says, oh, you're her best friend too. And he kind of did like, he got a little flustered there. <laughs> like, oh, like, mm -hmm. oh shit, I said too much. Go to sleep. <laughs> He's so cute. <laughs> Go home, Pan. You're drunk. <laughs> That's like my favorite thing, even in the book. Because it's like, Pan, she knows what you said. No matter what, like she's gonna wake up and know you're literally part of her. He's out there wingmaning, or I guess he doesn't have wings right now, but right, he could. And that's why this is one of those things. There are many of these throughout this episode where I take umbrage with Philip Pullman saying, well, not saying, but like the idea that I too have a demon because. Fuck, if I could have had, like, some other cool animal, like, speak on behalf of me, you know, winning lovers to my side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, You'd end up like Mrs. Coulter. Settle down. You'd be out there like, I'm gonna raise a specter army. <laughs> too much power, Eliana. Too much power. I don't know about that. <sighs> I hope not. Holy shit. I mean, maybe I could. I don't think so. Joppery and Lee abandon the balloon. Next, it's not gonna happen. Right? They're like, oh, better run. Better go on foot. This'll give us away. Lee tells Hester that he feels like an insect on the ground with everyone else. And then they set off. I, that stood out so hard to me, that line. Especially because, obviously, he's going to feed insects soon. <laughs> um, literally, though, he does. Uh, what is it? During the Yorick chapter. During the chapter when Yorick comes to eat his body. We have that line of, the witch's spell was broken now. The rest of the body was free to all who came. Soon it would be nourishing a dozen different kind of life. Uh, avoiding all the jokes here, right? It does remind me of the underworld in a couple ways. Mm. Of how he's saying he ends up with all the other tiny insects trapped here on the ground, under God's shoe, right? And that's actually kind of what happens here. After he dies, he goes and he's trapped under God's shoe. Well, that is a, the case. And it's interesting considering that Lee not being an insect, right? Because many of the Magisterium's yeah. demons are insects, but uh, I was also yeah, like the spider. Yeah, this, which uh. I guess is technically not an insect, but mm. ignore me. Annoying um, enough, yeah. The the beetle or the whatever. Fly. Yeah, the fly, um, things like that. But mm -hmm. also, I don't know. It was just sad. I think they they did that scene well where he's like, "I guess we're not an aeronaut anymore," and I was like, "No, that's sad." No. Hmm. Yeah, that doesn't make you not an aeronaut, though. But it is sex. That's his thing. That's his balloon. Yeah. He won it. He's slowly losing, like, Fuck. big things as we slowly lose him. 
it was it was pretty fast to be honest yeah. but yeah it was interesting how it was dragged between mm. the episodes and like i i yeah. need to rewatch it as an overarching season i feel like to really reaffirm my emotions because i don't know if it dragged out like that was better or if it would have been better like in one mm. episode that he was in the gulch but i don't think time allowed for it that's for sure especially like for the next scene with marisa right uh marisa has to have her time in chidigatse which i'm fine give her the goddamn emmy we get it okay <laughs> shit <laughs> god every single scene i would just yell at the screen just give her the fucking emmy already okay we get it you're good uh, yeah she ends up finding will and lyra's shelter too and like it, it's just a beautiful scene and all slow-mo and she's clutching the jacket and all to her and sad but again some of it got a little heavy to me uh, i would have hoped for a little more lee just because we get her for another yeah. season come on yeah uh the way that she turns around though when she enters their what was their home right mm-hmm. feels a lot like the mm-hmm. scene where she turned around and first saw that specter when she was traversing chitagatze and that mm-hmm. that that nighttime scene and entering Will's world, she like pauses and she's like, "What is that?" <laughs> she's like, "Peace." And there's also something kind of like it feels intimate uh, for her to be in Lyra's space, but also yeah. like invasive, like because Lyra's not yeah. there. And it did, uh, you know, she's exploring the place, and it did remind me of Lyra explore uh, exploring Mrs. Coulter's apartment in season one. Oh, so that's what it made me think of. Oh. Very you know, even as far as, like, how her demon, uh, you know, we see in the apartment her demon checking on Lyra and kind of creeping her out, and she gets caught by the mm-hmm. witch right in a minute. Mm-hmm. So, with the separate demon, etc. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That jacket. <laughs> it was a deep whiff. Like a... <sighs> that made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm like, what? That probably smells terrible. <laughs> yeah yeah it doesn't smell like baby you know like not like that little girl that she saw in the stroller it does not smell like that smells no it smells like probably a lot a lot of different things (laughs) (laughs) that's not been washed (laughs) no she doesn't believe in that lyra's like i don't I don't wash clothes. Not myself. I've got not this. Her sniffing her shirt was the funniest part. <laughs> and it's supposed to be emotional, and- but <laughs> I'm like, no, that smells so bad. <laughs> what are you doing? Please. Get it together. <laughs> a mother, a mother would be like, oh, she's got to wash this. <laughs> yeah, if you like, were a real mom, Marisa, you'd start God. doing laundry. Okay. <laughs> Start cleaning the place up. Ah, oh, this place is filthy, Lyra. What have you been doing in here? <laughs> I mean, she she can smell this, but she's disgusted by a pair of jeans. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Great point. She's a woman of depth. Okay, I'd like you all to know that Marisa Coulter is a woman of fine taste and depth that maybe you just don't understand. And not smell. She contains multitudes. <laughs> <laughs> multitudes. Uh. Oh. The witches decide to go scouting ahead. Raina Meaty stakes out where the specters are on their path, while Lena Felt ends up going to check on the woman that she saw in Chitagatse with a demon. Serafina wishes her sisters to be safe, and off they fly. Yes, and it's somewhere around here, right? I, I don't remember exactly, but and they don't outright say it, but in the books... They do say that the witches regard Will with suspicion because they're like, why the fuck doesn't his wound heal? And while, like, Lyra and Pan are watching, 
maybe it's a little later. Lyra and Pan are watching Serafina tend to Will's wounds, and Serafina kind of gives Will a dirty look like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I do not like the boy my daughter brought home. <laughs> and then Will's looking at her like, well, fuck you too. <laughs> Mary next departs from Angelica and Paula. She delivers them to the Gulch. Yeah, I saw, I know you guys talked about Lord of the Flies a lot, and um, that's always been on my mind whenever I see the Chigatsu kids. Um, and I think about how easily they could have suffered the same fate as those kids from Lord of the Flies. Because the subtle knife reminds me of the conch in Lord of the Flies, which becomes this symbol of power and authority. Mm. Um, the conch, or the appointed leader, gets to hold the conch. And whenever the boys have meetings, the conch gets passed around to whoever wants to speak. Um, long story short, since you guys talked about a lot of what happens in the book, um, that power ends up getting abused and overridden as the kids descend into savagery. But luckily, we don't have to see those kids go through this uh, here in the show as Mary leads them back to their adults, much like how the surviving kids at the end of Lord of the Flies get rescued by adults. However, I think if they were able to get the subtle knife, it might have brought more problems than good because of how much power it holds and how much they don't know how much power it has because they don't have Mr. Paradisi. <laughs> um, and one of the rules of being a bear is to not use it for a base purpose. So I feel like that's what would have end up, ended up happening had the kids had the knife. And That's so interesting. Yeah. And so Mary, or the kids ask her to stay with them. And it, it is very sad when I think about how there's all these adults ready to literally risk their lives to help Lyra and Will because they just happen to be the children of the prophecy. They're the chosen too. But these poor kids are just collateral damage in this, this big war. And they're just left behind to fend for themselves. So I think for the show to at least allow us to see Mary help them guide them back to adults who can look after them, hopefully is gratifying to see since this is a hanging strand that never gets picked back up again in the books. I think that's really a lovely thing, right? Especially for Mary to be the one to bring them to their family. Uh, and I love getting to see Mary with other children has really been awesome. Her niece and nephew, and even with Angelica and Paula, uh, it, it's really sad and it is unfair, right? Like Will and Lyra get every fucking mentor from here on out right in the series like and obviously shit sucks in the amber spyglasses end we do not have to talk about it right this moment because it's gonna come up later but shit absolutely sucks and will does still get to at least be with mary mm -hmm. right someone who understands what he's been through and these poor young kids are traumatized they're never there, there aren't any other kids that they know right now or adults they can talk to that could understand how their childhood has just been taken from them and they never had good role models around to teach them wrong from right or this or that. And something big they did earlier was, you know, taking the pop and giving it to Will and Myra and just Will trying to pay for it and showing that juxtaposition of Will against these children that just take what they want, like little mini mm -hmm. magpies running around the city wild. And uh, I, I still have my gripes, as we talked about last week, with how Paula and Angelica were presented and how we didn't really get, like, for what you said with the subtle knife, we didn't see them with the guns running around, shooting them off and hurting themselves. Like, that's the biggest part of it, that, like, 
These kids have no clue what they're doing, and they have guns and other weapons they've crafted and no adult supervision, and they're out there in the street playing guns and killing each other on accident, their own people. Uh, and they don't have anyone to say, hey, have you tried doing this instead? <laughs> yeah. It's a bummer. And I really like the point that you brought up about the conch and, and likening the subtle knife to the conch and, you know, in regards to that idea of the children not knowing what they're doing. I mean, the mm -hmm. knife itself, right? They wouldn't, as you said, they might not know what to do with it or, or it would be used for base purposes. Obviously, they're using it to protect themselves, but what happens if they stay with it long enough, right? It, it devolves into an even darker version of the guild, mm -hmm. perhaps, right? I mean, the knife in and of itself isn't just a thing that wards off specters. It's a knife. Mm -hmm. It's a weapon. Yeah, for sure. Mary declines to stay with the children, and as she says no, blue rose petals filter in on the wind, and she bends over and smells them. This was so exciting to me, because the blue flowers from the show are actually in the books she does see beautiful blue flowers she sees petals rolling in and a blue flower head bending and swaying on the landscape when she gets there and poppies and buttercups uh the casual beginning of flowers just filtering into the story around mary malone and her helping children live better lives is really great framework they did a great job and i can't wait to watch her in series yeah <laughs> she had like the best time in <laughs> this series or this uh well, series mm -hmm. two, while everyone else is <laughs> stressed. and <laughs> I do love, like, she's, uh, there's a lot of, like, flora and fauna, like, association with Mary. And, like, even her, in her office, there's you see a lot of plants and that bonsai tree that you guys brought up, would bring up. I think that was a great way to, like, establish of, like, uh, to show, like, where her journey's headed. Yeah. We'll talk about it in a bit because there's other floral and fauna things that come up for her in this episode. We see it again and we see more. We see some red flowers growing on vines. And it it's very uh, reminiscent of the end of The Amber Spyglass, if you've ever read it or heard of it. Never heard of it. I don't suggest it. I don't. Never I don't think smelt it. It'll Never hurt. heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. Never smelt yeah. it. Never dealt with it. <laughs> oh my god. After all this, Lyra and Will each want a different direction. They debate what to do with the witches. Will, for obvious reasons, wants to go find his dad, and thinks that that takes priority over the witches, slowing them down, and Lyra says that the witches will keep them safe. She confronts him about his conversation with Pan that she overheard. She's afraid to let him down and fail him like she feels she did with her friend Roger. And right when Lyra says, I've had a best friend, you actually hear Roger's theme play. Heartbreak. Uh, yeah. Very sad. I didn't the life and that. death of Roger Carson. Yeah. The life and death? I thought it was just the life. <laughs> it's just the life, but I mean, it's basically the death, okay? Oh, the death no. of me. I love it. <sighs> it's a great catch. Yeah, it's a I'm great sure. Catch. You, oh, I'm sure you guys will talk more about uh, those moments in, in your podcast with a with the dust podcast so i'm excited for that yeah i yeah. i'm glad they brought like roger in because at first like during the the conversation pan and will had i was like damn fuck roger right <laughs> <laughs> about best friends and then they brought him up i was like good yeah again right like because i sat there and was like 
oh no, what if they don't bring Roger back into this car? And they do it. I didn't even think they were going to do it. And they did it. They closed the loop on the conversation. They followed through. Yeah. God, the bare minimum, you know, that's all I'm asking for. And they did it. I loved it. And thankfully, this conversation goes great, right? Like the last time that Lyra was all, I messed up with my best friend talking to Will the last few times, it didn't always end so well. He didn't seem to come to acceptance, but he does come to acceptance here. And he's like, you're not going to let me down, Lyra. We make each other stronger. And he tells her, this is our journey now. Sorry, I tried to get through the sentence, but it really hurt. He says it's their, their journey. journey. It's their a journey. Temporary one. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and we get a shot of them framed by a tunnel passage, a rite of passage, if you will, that visually represents the journey that they contemplate embarking on their own as they realize that they, that they can't always rely on the protection of others, or at the very least, they eventually will have to start making their own decisions because that's part of growing up. And this kind of scares Lyra because she may trust Will. She may trust other people, but she still can't quite trust her own judgment because it's what cost her Roger in the past, and she doesn't want the same to happen to Will. Yeah, as, you know, like you were saying, I absolutely agree. It's Lyra growing up, realizing her actions have consequences, and whereas before she'd just do whatever she wanted, was really willful and free, uh, and often quite disobedient towards adults. Now she's like mm-hmm. afraid to go against mm-hmm. Serafina's wishes and hurt her, or maybe like hurt Will. And I think there's also an aspect of all this where part of me wonders, like, I mean, Will's not really wrong. He's kind of right. Spectres do end up getting the witches here because, like, Lyra wasn't ready to go off on her own um, at this moment as they present her in the story and is seeking that protection from these witches who are kind of acting in the role of their uh, mentors, protectors. And then Lena and Reyna... Right, they end up getting eaten by specters, and the only reason that Serafina doesn't is because she was called away, and Lyra tells her, you know, go ahead. And I think there's an argument like that's kind of in a different light, you know, when you think of how the children of Chittagatse are all alone now, right? Because, I mean, all the adults around them were either eaten or some of them fled. So I mean, like you can look at that one of two ways, as to who's right or not. But also on a rewatch regarding this scene specifically in the about Roger. I think another thing that prompts Lyra to bring up Roger in this discussion of best friends is the nature of what Will's mission specifically is, because Will's trying to find his father. And Lyra knows that she can probably trust the alethiometer in all this, but in her own quests previously, in the first season, first book, to find like her father, right, it leads to her losing her best friend. So the idea of finding fathers and best friend hurt, these are connected in Lyra's mind. Because mm-hmm. of trying to bring Lord Azrael the alethiometer, and then she's like, oh shit, now Roger's dead. And so I kind of wonder, she's like, oh no, what's going to happen now with my new best friend on another father-finding mm. quest? That's a really great connection. And, and that's the fear, right? He has the same fears of, you know, finding his father, but the opposite fears. She has the fear of being like her father, and he has the fear of being like his father, and she has the fear of being like her mom. And he has the fear of not being able to protect her mom. And it's just really interesting how they're played against each other, especially in reading the alethiometer and how she reads it for him in the end of this series here, right? Like, especially. Hmm. It's really painful. Yeah. Not painful. I just want them to go home and have some chocolate. Chocolate. Yeah. That's a- 
Not chalk a little. Chalk a lot. Just a chalk a lot. A lot. Chalk a lot. Tired. Yeah, I never thought about that connection about how she might be traumatized by realizing, oh, he's going to find his father and he might die right after it. Well. <laughs> but the bad thing happens to Lyra, not to yeah. her. Yeah. And his dad. Oh, man. Not to Will. Will just has trauma. It's worse. Your mom comes for a visit. <laughs> yeah. Something does happen, but not in the way she thinks it will. Yeah. It will. I was going to say, like, you could have just stopped that at Lyra has trauma. <laughs> <laughs> now we have Will has trauma. <laughs> kids have trauma what? now. The Chittagatze kids have trauma. And <sighs> Lena Felt's about to have trauma. Oh. Well, she's not going to have it for long, unfortunately. Oh. Fuck. It really sucks. She gets to meet Mrs. Coulter, which, tragically, as most witches who meet her, uh, everything human within her is taken away by a specter. Dude, it fucks me up that, like, Mrs. Coulter, as she, you know, first she, like, holds her up, right, and she dies to the specter, and then after she's, like, already kind of eaten, then Mrs. Coulter gently strokes her cheek affectionately, and I'm like, what the fuck? <sighs> It's uh, it's a little heebie-jeebie, and she's real mm-hmm. affected. It's very obvious that she is... Mrs. Coulter is a little out of it right now, as we discussed. She's into stinky jackets, <laughs> and at first she's a shaken. She attacks with her demon, right? She sicks her demon on her. She does a, you know, the whole sick thing. It's great. And then she uses the specters to torture Lena Felt to reveal that Lyra is Eve. So we finally get the whole, she's Eve, mother of all, blah, blah, blah. And Coulter's like, oh my god, how could I not have figured it out in the last eight episodes? In the last, like, ten years. When she first heard about it. She's just doing the best she can. Uh, There's, okay, you know I was freaking out during this scene about her sicking the specters on the monkey. What the? Get this monkey away from her. Call Monkey Protective Services. <laughs> I've had it with this woman and her treatment of her demon. This monkey doesn't deserve that. Again, the monkey is just like the Chigatse kids. If this monkey could have had a nice person as its partner, maybe it would have turned out a little differently. Okay. <sighs> Something that I did notice in this episode and the way that Coulter acts and the way that she you know, hurts the monkey in this scene at one point, kicks him, whatever, yada yada. Uh, there's a lot of self-harm in it. Uh, Coulter throughout the season has kind of been doing a lot of self-harmy things, get to the edge, think about jumping in season one, you know. And it's Call of the Void, in a way. Like, she has the Call of the Void, which really fits well as we go forward for her later plot. She's living in a world she can't control, and her immense self-control that she does have, like in commanding the specters and that kind of negative, negative capability, so to speak, uh, a lot of that seems rooted in self-harm and self-loathing and hatred. She gets close to the edge and then laughs into the abyss. She walks on the rooftop. This is a subset of intrusive thoughts, the call of the void. It's high place phenomenon. Jerk the wheel, jump off, throw yourself in the waves, and... Everyone has this within them. Like, 100% of people have called the void within you. You may not have thoughts of self-harm. You may not want to take your life, but you have these thoughts because we're human. And it's it's a couple things. In 2012, Jennifer Hames led a study at the Department of Psych at Florida State about call of the void, calling it the high place phenomenon, and said ultimately it's the mind's weird way, paradoxically speaking, of appreciating life. 
right? It's the way that your brain is trying to appreciate that it's alive. The 19th century philosopher Kierkegaard, who wrote the concept of anxiety, would say something different. He whose eye happens to look down into the yawning abyss becomes dizzy. But what is the reason for this? It's just as much in his own eyes and in the abyss. Hence, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. Marisa is free, quote unquote, this series, right? She's gone free. She just freed herself of her last piece of baggage in the next last episode. And this seems to track. In Jennifer Hames' study, a bit over 50% of subjects who felt the call of the void said they did not have tendencies to end their life. And they didn't plan for anything, right? They didn't want to jump in the moment. And that is a lot of times how it goes. Suicide tends to be more methodical. Uh, it's not something that's always a quick decision. And it feels purposeful that Marisa's being shown having this call of the void because when she does choose in series three in the amber spyglass to jump into the abyss it's not for herself it, it was planned it wasn't planned in that moment but it's a sacrifice for lyra and for the world for lyra and she didn't i think coulter has known this whole time that to be a better person and to change she has to do something big and i think at that moment when she gets to that ledge it clicks and it makes sense but that's the choice, right? She's had this call of the void since series one that we're seeing play out with her on the roof, her here, her hurting herself, hurting her demon. And in series three, we'll see that call of the void answered. Yeah, my anxiety does not feel like the dizziness of freedom. <laughs> I don't agree with that either, truly. I did feel dizzy today, but I wasn't sure if it was from anxiety. <laughs> or freedom. Or freedom. <laughs> Was it freedom? I'm so dizzy ass free right now. <laughs> Fuck off, Kierkegaard. <laughs> Stuck up, bitch. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a that's a great analysis of what's going on with Mrs. Coulter and how it ties into her later story. Absolutely, and they really played up throughout series two and, and build on it. Definitely. Yeah, this was nerve wracking. I was like, "What the fuck? That's you." Oh. <laughs> Right. Well, I don't understand why you. Why are you trolling yourself like this? <laughs> that leads us to Lyra consulting Pan. She doesn't think that Will has the right idea in ditching the witches, and he agrees. Ruda arrives, and Lyra is shocked to see that there's a witch. There's a really good VFX fake out here, and I think that has a lot to do with the fabric of the dresses being this blend and shred of the black and green. Uh, when Ruta arrives, Lyra thinks it's a specter at first. You get the music, you get scared, you're like, oh no, specter attack. But then she lands and Lyra's like, whoa, you're a witch? Uh, and it's a really interesting fake out. And it's great to once more, especially with the last episode when Serafina was like, I hate those books that your father read you. Uh, it's great for Lyra to be like, whoa, another witch and you're even cooler. Yeah. And when uh, Lyra says, you're a witch, and she's just like, and you're Lyra? <laughs> I thought there'd be, like, a longer, or they would kind of expand their meeting more, but that was the last of it with Rudin. I, I have questions about all that, like, mm -hmm. timeline-wise, especially because then in this episode, as we go on, Seraphina's going to send her away, and then she comes back, and she's like, Asriel was great, I'm here, just got some cocktails, it's all good. Uh... I think there might be a little moving around happening behind the scenes there, is what I'm thinking. I think that might be something affected by the bottle episode and by yeah. COVID. Yeah. COVID has affected everyone's travel, to be <laughs> honest. In other worlds. Yeah, in other worlds as well. Hysterical. 
Thank you. Hysterical, Eliana. <laughs> well, so funny. it hasn't affected the Magisterium's travel. They arrive on land. They spot <laughs> Stanislaus Grumman, a.k.a. Joppery, and Lee Scoresby. And it's not said outright here, but when we see those Magisterium soldiers, it is mentioned in the books, right, that they realize that those soldiers uh, who followed them from... Lyra's world, or not from Will's world, and not from Chittagatse, um, in remarking how they have no demons. These soldiers do have demons, and it's much more subtle how it's depicted, but these soldiers are severed as their demons fly really high and far ahead of them as they're scouting uh, Lee and Joppery. I'm really glad you said that, because I one I only noticed the lead guy, right? The unmasked yeah. guy. I didn't really pay attention to others, but I did think, I was like, wait a second, is he supposed to be severed? And obviously we know Marisa has that army, right? In the book, she talks about her army of men that she's severed that respond to her every will. Uh, it was cool to see that. I was interested to see them grab that together. Ruta brings news of the war and Asriel's intentions back to the witches. It turns out Asriel's gonna attack and dethrone God. Serafina says Ruta must go to Asriel, that Serafina will make sure Lyra fulfills her destiny. Ruta talks about the cliffgast conversation that they need to find Issa Hader. Raina Meaty arrives from flying over the path and announces the way ahead is clear, so they set out to find Joppery. You know, Serafina says that Lyra's fate is to end destiny. She even says explicitly and to, like, bring free will. And I'm just like, well, you know, earlier in the previous episode, she's wondering, she's like, Will, are you the boy who's supposed to travel with Lyra that's spoken of in this prophecy that I know about and I'm just like so are the will like are the witches just not into wordplay do they just like not like puns because she explicitly says <laughs> free will and I'm like everyone should have just watched the movie Pokemon 2000 the witches should have watched the movie Pokemon 2000 <laughs> in which there's a prophecy about the three legendary birds and Lugia and it says I'm not going to read the whole thing I'll just get to the part that's important where it says disturb not the harmony of fire ice or lightning lest these titans wreak destruction upon the world in which they clash though the water's great guardian shall rise to quell the fighting alone its song will fail lest the earth shall turn to ash and everyone's like oh that means that the whole world is going to turn like and fall apart and burn up but no it was about the earth turning to ash ketchum and i feel like that's what's happening here in this prophecy that the witches have what's not clicking witches (laughs) (laughs) what isn't (laughs) clicking Okay, but not to go off topic, but does that mean that Entei in Pokemon 3 is Molly's demon? And is there something to grasp in her with the growing up, aging down thing that she does in the visions? Interesting. Why haven't we covered the Pokemon movies is my next question. Do you want to cover them? I kind of actually do. I kind of actually do. But that movie kind of freaked me out. That one was like real spooky. Oh, I loved that movie. It was so fucked up. Molly was was so weird. I loved that little girl. Uh, also, are the unknown dust? Are they angels? Oh, I don't know. It's a good question. And it's the opposite because Molly gets her parents back at the end. You know, Lyra loses <laughs> just, don't them just forever. Spoil it but... before we covered the, all the movies. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> pay attention to this someday, you guys, because we'll have it on our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where we're gonna have these episodes. I digress. Also, is this because I sent you that Pokemon meme earlier? Uh, kinda. It, it was partially okay. inspired by that, so it was top of mind. But also, Pokemon's always top of mind. Cool. Cool, cool. Yeah. 
Greek thoughts. And you know what? I love, I do want to say I love how uh, that's very Greek mythos too, right? Yeah, the that's Titans, true. the beast of the sea with the three oh, different that, Titans. That, mm-hmm. I thought you meant um, the, the part about the prophecy and historic materials, not in Pokemon. Oh no, I'm like, still yes. talking about Pokemon. I'm still on Pokemon, everyone. <laughs> uh, well, Lee and Joppery get spotted after all this Pokemon talk. They were standing around talking about Pokemon for far <laughs> too long and they get spotted. They run. Battle ensues. Lee is like, Mr. Grumman, I got you. Go ahead. They share a little quick moment goodbye. And Grumman looks at him. He's like, God damn, you are the best man in the universe. And, you know, it's going to die later. So sad, sad shit. And then Marisa and her demon scale the Tori Deli Anjali. And it comes to blows between the two, mostly by Marisa. Leave him alone. <sighs> Leave him the fuck yeah. alone. Really dusty vibes from the scene. Um, as in Book of Dust's five vibes. Also, yeah. I noticed she says, you're either with me or against me to the monkey, which we also hear Asriel say later on as he's appealing to the angels. So self-assured and firm in his beliefs. You know, he's with his demon right, right beside him. They're united. Um, in contrast, we've seen Marisa struggle internally quite a few, quite a lot during this season. And we see her struggle again here, but she's so at odds with her monkey with and with herself that she feels the need to beat herself up for it because she's unsure if she can or should protect Lyra. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I thought that uh, that was an interesting language parallel with Asriel. And yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I'm trying to figure out what is going on, what she's at odds with in herself. But as she starts to become on the same page, right, as herself, Mrs. Coulter, she gets down on her hands and knees and mimics the body language of her demon. I don't know if it's to persuade him or to to show, like, that they are sinking, but I, I'm not sure yet, like, what she's unsure of. I mean, she's unsure of herself, I guess, and unsure of what path to take, right? Because, I mean, that's the thing, is, like, We talked a little bit about how this is supposed to be kind of a surprise plot when she takes Lyra because, you know, it builds up. You're like, oh, she's going to get Lyra. She's going to hurt her. And then you open up to the third book and it's like, no, sweet Lyra, I'm just poisoning you so you can sleep better, honey. Oh, my beautiful girl. Uh, Ooh, ooh, gotta love her. You know, gotta love Mrs. Cole. Do you? I do. But (laughs) I I think there's a big part of that of like, she doesn't know what to do. She knows that Lyra is even that she wants to protect her in her toxic way. But like, how can you protect someone when you can't even protect yourself from all the bullshit you've been through in your life? And it turns you into a hollow shell of a person and you just lash out at everyone because everything in your life has been so unfair. And then it turns into you're a miserable villain anyways. But did you guys catch that? Everyone got that good. But <laughs> I, I, I just think like, she's not sure of herself and she hates herself so much, but at the same time, she like thinks that the only way through is one way. And, I think she changes, right? I think maybe uh-huh. this is where she changes what she was going to do. Maybe she decides, all right, I know where I'm taking her. I got the idea. She knew before, but here she's like really at odds with herself. She's fighting herself every step of the way. And as you mentioned last episode about her outfit looking kind of more like a safari outfit, and I know you're going to talk about it in a moment, she's even mirroring Lyra, right? In the color choice of that cream. Lyra comes into this series wearing that cream explorer jacket that Coulter, God bless her, breathed in so deeply. And uh, now you see her walking around the tower where Lyra just was in her cream safari outfit. Yeah. 
Now I'm sh- she should have tried to put on Lyra's jacket. You know, that would have been a good uh, parallel with Will at the end of the series. <laughs> or the end of the oh. season. I don't know if it would have fit, but I do. Now I'm like, is there something there? But, hmm. I mean, there is something there with the jacket, right? Like, yeah, she's in this explorer outfit that is very much like a safari outfit. Mrs. Coulter sniffs it. It's almost like she's getting Lyra's scent. And then we see Mrs. Coulter really retrace all the steps that Lyra has taken when she went to Chittagatse, right? She finds the house, then she goes to the mm-hmm. tower, she goes all the way up to the tower to where the that skirmish took place, right? And then um, as she nears the gulch, she it seems like she's about to go in one direction, then suddenly turns as though like, oh, no, I should go in this one, right? As though she suddenly like senses the direction that Lyra is in, and it's really very much... Um, <laughs> Like she's on a safari, like she's hunting big game, she's hunting mm-hmm. Lyra and tracking her um, as yeah. she wears this outfit. Yeah, especially with the scent. Yeah. Yeah. The smelling, the she's sniff, like, mm, the big whiff was yeah. to track her. Where's that, where's that horrible <laughs> scent? <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of surprised she didn't, like, have the specter smell it first, you know? Mm. <laughs> Here, boy. Yeah. That is a mom thing to do, maybe. <laughs> Find that terrible smell, track you down, tell you to go... Take a shower. Take a shower. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Yeah, it's very predatory now that I think about it. And I guess that's interesting for a monkey. Mm. Some monkeys are. Not all, right? Mm -hmm. Not all. They do reconcile, though, with Lyra being special and vowing to find her. Yeah, and again, with that language uh, where she says, I will find her, not we. (laughs) Well, when she's talking to the monkey. (laughs) Poor monkey. (laughs) Yeah. She stands in the window of the Tour d'Eliangeli with her hand outstretched, summoning specters. And Eliana, this is a direct parallel to your Joppery in the doorframe summoning will parallels. Yes, but from the front. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of some dusty vibes, I mentioned in series two earlier on about the light flowing through those interlocked windows looking like dust. And we get this beautiful shot of Marisa in the tower with that light streaming through, and she's surrounded by little specks of gold on the ground. And it looks, again, dust floating all around her is what it looks like. Uh, Yeah. And you can see Mr. Paradisi behind her. (laughs) Poor guy. I didn't even realize that until you pointed it out. Um... I, I saw people say that, but I didn't look hard enough. Me neither. So. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, no. That I know. Somebody give that man a burial. Who's gonna, but who's going to do it? He's just going to decompose <sighs> there. Maybe that's a metaphor. Hmm. Yeah, probably. Hmm. <laughs> Lee descends the Alamo Gulch, deciding that it's time to go all in, and... Lyra and Pan have a conversation about change, worrying that a great change is starting. Lyra's loins. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Whoa. Well, I mean, I'm you're not. not I agree. And also, all this talk of Pan, of Pan's final form and changing when he ends up settling as a red gold pine martin, which actually just looks like a skinny red panda. Tbh. It's true. It's it's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, and actually, I first I know we saw Pan change into a Pine Martin before, but I forgot that he ends up being a Red Gold Pine Martin. So I had to like um, when I was reading a certain scene in Amber Spyglass, uh, it says that he's a Red Gold Pine Martin. So it all just clicked with me. Yeah, and also during this uh, conversation with Pan. 
Lyra's hair is, half of her hair is, like, pinned back, half is down, as if she's, I don't know, given up fixing it or can't decide. And I know this, this kind of happens throughout the this episode and maybe even last, but I don't know. I wasn't sure if it was, like, a, continu- a continuity error or maybe it's kind of showing that she's in this transition, that she's changing, but she's not ready to, you know, she's not a girl, not yet a woman. As Britney Spears would say. Not yet a yep. woman. Try to find the one in me. <laughs> oh, I didn't know the other lyrics. Oh, I need she needs time. It's time. A moment that is mine. While okay, we're in okay, between. We anyways, anyways. <laughs> between. Don't test me. <laughs> That's a great album. Oh, uh, also, that's a great call. I, I didn't feel, know that about I think her in the music video, she's isn't she like on rocks or <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. We should include this in our uh, in our episode about music. Music in and about <laughs> the worlds of his dark material. Britney Spears. <laughs> Britney Spears wrote this song <sighs> about Lyra. Lyra's jacket has these really awesome vertical textures on it it's like these vertical stitches it's it might just be the fabric right it might be the denimy textured fabric but it has vertical texture stitches that remind me of the strands of dust from the cave and from the intro yeah 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 yeah. and then we also come to mary reading from the book of changes in a cavern and i will just say it is mary speaking or communing with dust in a cave (sighs) amazing big gasp (sighs) amazing that's it. That's the insight. The cave. <laughs> no, it's no, good. That's, good. that's, that's it. Great. It's a. I have the shock Pikachu really face good. on. You know what? Up. <laughs> you know what? Everyone, pack it up. <laughs> Episode's over. Eliana, did it. <sighs> thank you, everyone. Um, then we have you know more more petals swooping in at her. It's a it's a little shoujo breeze, but blue petals instead. Um, <laughs> then uh, she reads aloud from her book. A fox, after nearly crossing the stream, gets his tail in the water. The task at hand is not yet completed. It promises success, but proceed with caution. So this is hexagram number 64 of the Yijing. It translates into unfinished business, which seems to be the entire uh, theme of the episode, right? Lee's going to have unfinished business on Earth because he's going to be stuck. You got Will and his dad with their unfinished business and Coulter with some unfinished business. Though Azriel must have finished, if you know what I mean. Uh, The fifth line of this hexagram, Eliana, don't look at me like that. The fifth line of this hexagram, I won't go through all the lines, but the fifth line specifically means progress and success in the ruler of the hexagram's place. So in the fable, the young fox hasn't escaped danger and calamity. Getting his tail wet means the end doesn't reflect the beginning. The task is great and full of responsibility with this hexagram and suggests that the task in hand promises success to unite forces in different directions. It's also a little reminiscent to me just of her reading the Yijing and reading Unfinished Business with the petals sweeping across of that amber spyglass scene, right? When supper was over, the three humans and Atal sat on rugs outside Mary's house under the warm stars. They lay back, well-fed and comfortable in the flower-scented night and listened to Mary tell her story. I feel like that's really fitting 
uh, just for her to start this off, her big adventure, starting in the cave again, as Eliana said, reading the Yijing, reading about how this great task is going to require a lot, but it could really change things. Love it. Yeah, so this is really interesting. I um, It's absolutely, there's a lot of unfinished business in this episode. I'm going to throw in one more from the post credit scene. Roger mm. is unfinished business. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's very big unfinished business, and Lyra very much so has that to handle, huh? Yeah. Soon. Soon. Just got to wake up first. Mm-hmm. Lee reminisces with Hester about playing the Alamo long ago. They have 30 bullets left, and Hester says the worst thing in the world. Oh, God. I forgot we have to get to this. Hester says, this was all my fault, Lee, for not stopping you. And her little ears go back when she says it. (sighs) Yeah. And he's like, it's not your fault, Hess. And he gets hit. And just as he gets hit, he remembers Serafina's cloud pine, tries his best to summon her. This is just... It's sad. It's sad. I was kind of wondering if Lee and Hester's scene here, right, were saying that, that they pushed each other is supposed to harken back to Will and Lyra also being like, you made me stronger. It's not bad, but, like, you know, mm-hmm. they were gonna always, like, make each other grow. Push beyond their mm-hmm. limits. It's a great thought. And it, it's it's a good scene, right? It's full of classic Lee stuff. Hester says, our lives are theirs, and he says, no. Theirs or Lyra's. Could have had a little more intonation on that line, but that's okay. I'll let it slide, Lin-Manuel. <laughs> Don't listen to this. But <laughs> we get this really nice touch of him taking off his hat as he goes to the next rock, which is similar to some of the tricks he uses in Once Upon a Time in the North, providing a fake out right when he's fighting McConnell up in the, the warehouse at the end of the story. Mm. But the most glaring part of this scene, to come back to what you said, Eliana, is some of the demon juxtaposition. Uh, We started off with Hester in her final moments here crying, I stopped you, which we've seen Hester throughout the show stopping Lee from bar fighting, or at least telling him, on the left, Lee, on the right, Lee, what are you doing? Stopping him from doing things wrong. In the books, when this line would happen, it would come from her thinking it was her fault from telling him to take the scrailing ring, right? But it still works here as well. And something that feels very glaring in this episode is the juxtaposition of Hester against Coulter and how Coulter treats her demon. Hester cries out like, I should have stopped you. I'm sorry. I I just, I should have stopped you. And Lee's like, no, Hester, what are you saying? Like, you couldn't have fixed this. This is fate. We got to do it for Lyra. And Marisa shows her demon that there really isn't stopping her. She's like, this is what I can do if I want. I am powerful if people would just fucking open their eyes and see it. And it ends up kind of exactly how she heals her love for not only herself, but also with Lyra, right? Like, this is how life could be, but if you don't let me protect you, this is how life could be. Damn. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I do like the contrast between Lee, how Lee and Hester interact. Um, I feel like with Lee kind of reassuring Hester, it reminds me of, like, when you're self-soothing yourself and it's opposite mm. to Marisa, who's mm. always trying to, like, beat herself up when she's feeling bad. But with Lee, it's like trying to reassure himself mm. that he's doing the right thing as he's talking to Hester. Mm. Never thought of that comparison, but it's a good one, for sure. And I mean, it plays into how their ending goes, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, yeah. we're, we're, we're basically there. We're, we're leading up to it. Um, 
And we talked about that ending quite a bit in our coverage of The Subtle Knife and talked about how the end might be written a little similarly to the end of Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms. But of course, I think, I'm sure many people know this, right? That Lee's Last Stand Here is very much hearkening to the legend of Davy Crockett, uh, an American folktale legend, how, who was a congressman in Tennessee and a big figure in the Texas Revolution and who died at the Battle of the Alamo, which was a crucial turning point in the Texas Revolution, it, which was fought for Texas to gain independence from Mexico and made up of a mix of American immigrants, so it was then a larger state in Mexico called Coahuila y Tejas, um, and we had a lot of Tejanos, uh, who are Mexican-born residents of oh. Texas, right, who made up this independence movement. And as we can see, uh, Texas never ended up joining what would eventually be a United States of America, because they don't have that in uh, Lyra's world. We'll get to that in a second, but some of that background is... Because I have questions. I have questions about Philip Pullman's world building. And this, I guess, is not as much about the show so much as the His Dark Materials world at large. But the context for, in the real world, that Tejanos were mad at the changes in their government, right? Not adhering to or not listening to their voices, giving them as much representation as they had hoped after the Mexican Revolution. And the American settlers, right, who who were coming to Texas, some of who, interestingly, uh, migrated there illegally, uh... You know, just just throwing it out there, um, allegedly. Um, and they were mad that they couldn't practice slavery the way that they were used to, despite them coming over to this other government. Um, and because the practice of slavery was uh, outlawed in Mexico eventually. And also some of them brought some of their quite racist prejudices to the people whose land they were settling. But anyway, I digress. Anyways, um... Eventually, uh, after a while, Americans made up about 40% of the Texian army um, as the Tejanos and Americans banded together to gain independence from Mexico. But the Battle of the Alamo is significant in that they were greatly outnumbered by the Mexican army. They tried to hold the Alamo mission, Spanish mission, right, which was a fort. Anyway, they surrendered and um, pretty much all of them died, including Davy Crockett. According to some accounts, the most one of the most famous accounts is a legend that Crockett, um, according to Ben, who was a former slave and served as a cook to Mexican General Santa Ana, Crockett took down at least 16 Mexican soldiers when they came to execute him, even though many of the men there had surrendered. And one of those 16 men allegedly had Crockett's knife in him. This account is later disputed, but, you know, whatever. The point is that this legend stuck around because people love their legends, they love their folktales, Philip Pullman loves those legends, and mm -hmm. it's very much what Lee's story is drawing from here as the Battle of the Alamo became the rallying cry for the Texas Revolution at large, right? Um, after seeing this huge defeat where so many people died, it drew more people to their cause. Um, you've probably all heard the phrase, remember the Alamo, and it's very much like Lee and Hester, greatly outnumbered, mirroring this, taking down all these men for the cause of Lyra and the independence of many worlds from the tyranny of the authority. But And this is the part where my questions come in. I have no idea what happened at the Battle of the Alamo in Lee's world, because I don't have any idea as to how it works out at all, right? Because he says to Hester, we took Dane turns being the Danes in French, and I'm like, what does he mean here, right? Like, were they the settlers as the United States does not exist? Like, were they, like, Danish and French settlers that all joined the, like, Texan army, right? 
were the Danes and the French fighting against one another? Because we have two other countries that are New Denmark and New France and what we think of as North America. Right now we have New Denmark and New mm-hmm. France. Or like, did they band together to fight for independence? Like, But they wouldn't fight for independence from Mexico, but from this country below that's called Hispana Nova, according to the map that I've seen of like the historic materials world. Like, did was there did the Mexican Revolution not succeed and like Texas sought independence from that anyway? Or like what what happened at this battle of the Alamo? Who was fighting who? What happened with the Danes and the French? I have questions and I know the bottom line is Philip Pullman just likes his folktales, but what happened? Dude, I don't think he even knows. I don't think he does. I think that's the problem here. He was just like, this I is also cool like idea. It reminds me of this thing that happens in a Doctor Who episode where time gets stopped by someone. And, like, when time stops, all of these weird paradoxes start happening. Like, all this history happens at once. And, like, there are raptors in the park. And, like, Caesar is the prime minister. But it's actually someone... It's just really crazy shit happens. And it's, like, all because something is wrong in time. And that's almost what it feels like, right, sometimes with his dark materials. Like, something got fucked up in the timeline and you got a lot of weird yeah. stuff in this world much to think about <laughs> a lot <laughs> it's it's definitely i'm sure like philip Holmes is like this is a cool idea and he just likes the alamo story but i was just like what oh yeah needs more. It, no it just like doesn't make sense at philip pullman please answer <laughs> <laughs> He might. I got my answer to that one question, and that's honestly all I need to be happy. The cat's question? (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's the only one that really mattered to me. I'm going to be real. True. She's real easy to please. I am. You don't know. (laughs) (sighs) Couple things I noticed in this scene before we go on to Serafina, my love, uh, is that what a high five to the team. You can see the empty cartridge boxes and shells in the grass around Hester when they zoom in. Uh, So it's not just, you know, infinite ammo or, like, you don't see the shells. Like, you literally see the end of it. You see the shells. You see an empty cartridge. And the cartridges must have been made uh, from the VFX department because they have similar font and coloring to the candies that you got, Eliana. uh, Branding. Yeah, if you look at the cartridges, take a weird shot and look at it. I wouldn't be able to compare them box to box. (laughs) Someone who may have gotten their box may be able to compare them, and they could do so in their His Dark Materials blanket if they so choose. I cannot do that, but Eliana may be able to. So me let too. Me know I can do that too. <laughs> oh, Just thanks, you know. Cam. Thanks. So Cam, in your blanket. Oh, blanket. My mom has uh, stolen do it. it, so it it's that great of oh. a blanket. Oh, well, it's going to get stolen from <laughs> Eliana someday too. Don't worry. Interesting. <laughs> uh, another quick thing. When Lee calls out for Serafina, it's kind of paralleling him being summoned by Joppery a little bit, right? He's summoning Serafina. Uh, Joppery summoned him with his mom's ring, and he's also using something very close and personal, a part of her. And also, Lee's bleeding out against a mossy rock. So, you know, another iteration of blood moss, yeah. if you will. Interesting, mm-hmm. interesting. Interesting that they were able to show blood moss, but not in the actual way it's supposed to be shown. Or that I thought it would be. Didn't think about that. Yeah, they do show it later with uh, with Joppery, too. They show Will as he walks. You see the rock. You see red on the rock. 
but I didn't even think about it. Till I thought that was Joffrey's part. blood. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was wondering where his body went, but that was totally, was totally off. Yeah, did he Chloe just push him off the too. cliff? Did yeah. he push him off the cliff? All right. Okay, we'll talk Good, about this later. I Anyways. Have questions <laughs> of that part. <laughs> There's a lot of questions every now and then. Yep. Well, Serafina goes to help Lee next, and she first gets these visions. She's able to get visions of Lee being hit and outlook not so good, right? And she tells Lyra, Lee's in danger. And Lyra's like, well, you've got to go help him, Mom. That's your husband. And off she goes. Great witch world building in that. Back in episode one, we had a few questions with Lo that joined us about can the witches telepathically communicate via whatever? Well, that answer has kind of come from the cloud pine, right? Like having the pine spray within their body. I love the saxifrage in the book. Very thematic, very symbolic, especially when you consider London's version and what happened in the London Blitz. But uh, the idea that everything is connected and having the pine spray within the witches and having them be able to telepathically communicate through their cloud pine is what I'm assuming is how they're able to see things and communicate uh, and having Lee be able to hold that, it, it's very tree of life. We've had so much tree imagery in the last few episodes, and it's like everything is connected, right? The root of magic is running through all of the witches and connecting them. And we're seeing more of that, like Mary Malone in the last episode, grabbing fruit from the tree. Uh, they're doing a great job on bringing that tree of knowledge, tree of illusion, and of course, the the tree, the tree. I'm just excited about it. I think that was a really cool connection to just make the Cloud Pine part of the witches and have the summoning work that way as well and the telepathy. Yeah, it was a, a very imaginative solution that I think hit a lot of things and, and sort of mm-hmm. streamlined ideas within the series for for television. Other things that are awesome in this television is uh, Ruda Germintas's, like acting. Um, and she's the one playing Serafina. It's a little confusing because, yes, we do have a Ruta Scotty. Um, but, like, when Lee calls her, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how anyone does it. How does acting work? Like, her pupils just go wide, right, in that close-up we see of her. And then suddenly then they normalize as she realizes that Lee is calling her. Um, and it, it's just fantastically done. I wonder how much of the story they are going to give Seraphina next season. We know she doesn't feature super heavily in the third book, but I think that they have done something really interesting with Seraphina and having her play off of Ruta so much this season and making the witch's storyline, I think, a big part of that fight against the authority. Um, and as well as with like Seraphina's individual scenes with Will. Like the Seraphina that we get in the show is, I think, shown as a lot more vulnerable, a lot more fallible than the sort of super women that we see witches are in the books. And I don't think that that's a bad thing, like that we've gotten these doubts. Um, it, we see her making like mistakes, right? When it comes to striking back against the Magisterium, losing her homelands, it presents a very much more human, I think, uh, version of the witches. And she's so dedicated to Lyra. She's kind of like meh on Will. She's not really sure about him and she shows hesitation in what she's doing. And again, that's a very human thing. So I'm interested to see how they build her out next season if they dig into that. Like what happens to Serafina here is very much, I think, Lyra's biggest fears that she has at the beginning of the episode, right? Because Serafina makes a mistake. She doesn't get to Lee in time and then loses him, but in choosing to help Lee, right? And I mean, of course, Lyra tells her, you should go. You need to help him. Um, 
you know, that's a difficult choice between two people she cares about, she, two people she doesn't want to make a mistake with. And Serafina, she leaves Lyra and Will alone. And in those few moments that she's gone, Lyra ends up taken. Lee dies. So I'm just like, how does this mistake and how do these losses end up really just changing and affecting Serafina's character? Yeah, I think we talked a little bit earlier in the season about how there's a little framework of Serafina as kind of a centrist, right? And seeing her humanized, like you mentioned, is really interesting because she's, you know, a witch and she's old and she's been around for a while and emotions are different for witches than they are for humans who have such pitiful, tiny, puny lives, right? True. As we've learned compared to theirs. And I do think that this will help push her in the war out of that kind of centrism that she felt all series and we see her go off. This is the first time that she has strayed from her path of Lyra, Lyra, Lyra to go help Lee. He is the first uh, choice that she said, yes, I have to go. Bye. Uh, there was no, you know, she yeah. kind of asked for permission from Lyra, but not really. Like, she immediately knew. She's like, oh, shit. This is my one thing I said I would do. Yeah. And so she she's torn between those two obligations. Mm -hmm. That's very much what her face says. Yeah. I don't want to do it. Take it away, Chloe. Let's just end the episode here. <laughs> this is it. This is what so happened sad. in the episode. Lee and Hester held out. Tara Hope and Lyra. This is so awful. I hate this. Do we even need to talk? It's unfortunate. It's unkind. This reminds me of a bit from Once Upon a Time in the North we should talk about. Lee left her to it and checked the barometer, the gas pressure gauge, and the compass again. Not that the compass was much of a help in these latitudes. Then he took out the rifle, looked it over thoroughly, cleaned it, oiled it with a new can of machine oil, which he found, to his surprise, in the toolbox. He wrapped it up again carefully before making sure it was safely strapped to a stanchion. He'd learned his lesson. He looked after it well for the rest of his life, and 35 years later, the Winchester was in his hands when he died. <sighs> great shout out to the prop department. Uh, Michael Van Kestren, the lead over there, did a great job on this rifle. He even put in something pretty cool. There's an homage to Han Solo's blaster, his DL-44 blaster in the rifle. I think it's the added scope. Me and my dad were checking it out today. And uh, I don't know, guns, you know. I was like, Dad, help. Uh, but the, the added scope looks like the homage because most Winchesters don't have that secondary scope. And it, it it's a really, it, it's well done. It, it's great to see that it's the gun. Attention to detail. I'm into that. And Lee had the dustiest death yeah. in the series. So in this series. Uh, it was a swan song, right? Like we haven't seen people die like that in the series in a while all dusty and close up uh, boreal didn't get a dusty death he got a tear poison death there was a tear lee had a tear they've been very into the tear death but boreal's death wasn't quite as dusty yeah i mean it wasn't a clean death by any means but also not mm -hmm. dusty yeah they they really drew it out and i mean i think that's the thing right like lee and hester's death is very central to that and y'all were talking earlier about the the contrast between the relationship Mrs. Colton and her demon have versus Lee and Hester and how Lee and Hester seem very much aligned, right? They they care for one another, they build each other up. And it's that firmness that they have that shows that Lee loves Hester. He loves himself, right? And not like in a weird 
way, like in a very self-assured mm-hmm. way. So it's very, it's so sad. But, yeah, but what a way to go. They loved life. They loved adventures. But what a good way to go. <laughs> it yeah. was. It was a good swan song. And it was, uh, it was well done. They kept the tension up. They kept it moving. A good rabbit song. They did good. Yeah, a good rabbit song. A good they, rabbit song. They kept, they kept the whole line. They really did. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Amazing. It is, uh, if you think about it, it's a, it's a good death in that you talk about how Lee loved himself and, you know, in his last moments, he w- he has no regrets. And I just think that's a satisfying mm-hmm. way to go for one of the few characters, or not one of the few, one of the many characters that die in the series, so... <laughs> yeah that's true do die yeah can't wait till next series <laughs> oh but, oh god everybody dies we get this montage right after this that like it's a good montage and it got the tension back up so like you're upset for a minute and then you're right back into it so i was <laughs> glad about that it was smooth but i was like god let me grieve jesus <laughs> a lot of these scenes are intercut, so it's really clever because it leads to classic misdirections. The untrained, unread mind would see Coulter entering the gulch and associate her background and environment being rocky, warm-colored stones as being where Will was headed. The Magisterium guy is following them, and they show a very swift clip of him. Blink and you miss it. So when Will finally is about to meet his dad... You're distracted. You don't remember the Magisterium guy being around because he wasn't on the same backdrop. And right before he gets there, you're like, oh no, Coulter's going to get him. But of course, that's not what happens. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> well, we'll find out what happens in a second, but I assume you all know because you're listening <laughs> to this episode. First, though, Jobbery's going to summon Will in his sleep. Yeah. You know, in a movie or whatever... Where you get frustrated at someone's choice and (sighs) like, I know Will has to leave because of the plot, but I'm so mad he leaves without waking up Lyra or at least waking up the witch so she can keep watch, you know, Uh, rookie mistake, Will. I love you, but that was stupid of you. Yeah, absolutely. Will was just like, oh, Lyra needs to nap. That's part of the plot. Lyra's <sighs> always napping. She looks so peaceful. I shouldn't wake her up, I guess. <laughs> that is what I thought. I was like, this is the first time she's gotten to nap wow. this entire series. Wow. Yeah, probably didn't want to disturb that. So I get it. <sighs> but ugh, it's going to cost him. <sighs> it's going to cost everyone. Ugh, Some heavy scholar coin, that's for sure. Well... After this intercut scene of the Magisterium following the trail and Coulter arriving in the gulch, Will ends up meeting Joppery. Wow, big wow. But on the other side, Coulter finds Lyra, right? Lots of reunions happening. We get specters eating Raina Meaty. I was a little disappointed. That was a quick scene. I wonder if they had to cut something, but uh, it was still great. Nonetheless, sad for Raina Meaty. Mm-hmm. Sad to see yeah. her go, Sasha Frost. And Col- mm-hmm. Coulter wakes Lyra after that. But we flash back to Will. Yes. Will gets a tiny bit of closure, of course. Joppery tasks him as the knife bearer, and Will works out some of his pain of being abandoned by his father. And it, honestly, it's a real tearjerker, and it's on, it, it's it's quite a great scene. Will promises to bear the knife 
as long as afterward his dad promises they can go home he's all like and then we go home and like my partner could sense something in this moment and he asked me he's like wait why can't he go home with him and i just look at him like i'm not gonna tell you you're gonna find out in like two seconds yep and that <laughs> it's because he dies <laughs> And then uh, that makes me think about this passage in The Subtle Knife. What he couldn't say was that he longed for his father as a lost child yearns for home. That comparison wouldn't have occurred to him because home was the place he kept safe for his mother, not the place others kept safe for him. But it had been five years now since that Saturday morning in the supermarket when the pretend game of hiding from the enemies became desperately real. Such a long time in his life, and his heart craved to hear the words, Well done, well done, my child. No one on earth could have done better. I'm proud of you. Come and rest now. And um, Andrew Scott does this thing, like, uh, I don't know if it's part of the script or his own choice, but he does this kind of non-committal, like, head shake, then nod. And I notice he does the same thing in his conversation with Lee in episode four. When Lee tells him he's given up on finding a way back to his family. Except here, Joppery first nods, then shakes his head. And then he also goes on to tell Will, Yes, it chose you. It chose you. Argue with anything else, but don't argue with your true nature. And in episode four, he says to Lee what he wants... um, Is to leave a world behind him where Will's able to think for himself. Where he's free. And that is what Will ends up doing in Amber's Spyglass. Uh, there's a part where Will says he doesn't want to be told what he'll become. He'll, he wants to choose and forge his own path. And as we find out, um, uh, either through lantern slides or through interviews, we find out that Will does become a doctor. Uh, a healer, ironically enough, like his shaman dad. I also see similarities between both uh, Joppery and Marisa. Both of them want their kids to be free, but John, John or Joppery ends up pushing Will to take on his destined path while Marisa wants to prevent Lyra from taking hers. And then um, more sad stuff happens. Uh, he, he dies. <laughs> but he gets shot. Oh he gets shot. Um, but Fleabag <laughs> ends up saving Will Perry by attacking the Magisterium guy's demon. <laughs> And I, I, all I can think about is like, wow, he must have really saved up his strength for that to be able to kill or for his demon to be able to do that yeah. as his last act before he dies. Mm-hmm. And we get uh, John Perry saying, let me look at you. And I love that they actually took this part from the book, but instead of it coming from a stranger, because at that point in the book, Joppery doesn't know he's talking to his mm-hmm. son yet. It's actually coming from a father wanting to get a last look at his son before he dies. So I thought that was very, very sad and sweet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it's got so much emotional weight. Yeah, uh, as you were saying regarding his demon, you know, and he saved up all his weight. He held on just to do that to make sure his son was safe and. That's another thing that, you know, I cannot do. In theory, I have a demon, but I cannot just kill someone's... someone else <laughs> just with the sheer force of my own yeah. soul power. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there'd be a lot of dead people now. If, if, <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> or I'd be dead. 
but absolutely there's something that you said that i wasn't sure if it's echoes um the way lord asriel said this line i think it might be show only to marisa with the you know you pointed out this line of Jopri telling Will, argue with anything else, but don't argue with your true nature. Doesn't Lord Azrael say something like that to Marisa when Marisa. when they're he's trying mm-hmm. to get her to cross to the no. other one? He's like, lie about anything else, but don't yeah. lie about what oh. you really want. I totally forgot about that. I did too until just now. That's good. That's good shit, Eliana. You can start a podcast. Really good at it. I don't know. Holy shit. No, that is good, though. That's, uh... I don't know what it means. Yeah, now I have to think on it. Well, well, but Cam, I think Cam just said, too, about that, of things like how Asriel speaks at the end, right? And how he's Mm. trying to build a new world, uh, just like Joppery here. And I think it really relates there that both of them are, uh, and, uh, okay, Book Joppery may not fully have our vote of confidence in all things he does. Andrew Scott gets a pass, right? Because he's Andrew Scott in a couple things here. But uh, Book Joppery sometimes isn't as complex, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, as I'd like him to be, or fleshed out and complex, at least. I think they flesh him out a bit more in this, and I think having him juxtaposed against Asriel in that and wanting better for their kids, but not necessarily being great guy, you know, not your stand-up best guy, not the reliable motherfucker you call on, you know? I mean, they're not really there all the time. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, And that comes through in the discussion that he has with Will, right? Like, Will, he's still so untrusting for obvious reasons can't be honest about himself and his sure his true nature to other people but and he tries to tell his father like how hard it's been on mm-hmm. him that his father wasn't there but he can't say that outright he says it was really hard on his mom doesn't he know how difficult it was that he wasn't gone but what he wants to say is dad it was so hard for me that you weren't here and it's just beautifully done because even though will doesn't say it outright Joppery understands what he's trying to say, that subtext. He senses it and he apologizes to Will. Like, he knows that he's fucked up. And then as he's dying, as as you said, Cam, you called out that let me look at you, he strokes Will's face in this really tender way. It's, it's a similar gesture to Mrs. Coulter stroking Lyra's face at the end. But he holds the, the face of his son and it's just... I just I just appreciate all that and that one of the first things that Joppery does when he sees Will is that he remembers and he asks, he's like, He's so worried. He's like, wait, where's Elaine? What's happened to her? And 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 he's fervent about getting that answer. For sure. I also think, especially the way Cam was just referring to how Joppery kind of, you know, immediately was like, this is your nature, don't fight it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also the way that Will gets this closure and gets to have just a tiny bit of closure to these wounds, these yeah. internal wounds, not, not quite his external, which he does get closure there, as we know with the blood moss. Uh, but the way that he gets the closure and the way he just says, like, Dad, why weren't you there? Why weren't you there? You know, you should have been there. And he finally gets the moment to look at his dad and say that. And, like, there's nothing Joppery can say back to fix those years. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. And he knows that. Yeah. Uh, Andrew's played that so well. He knows that. And all he knows is that he can give his son the advice he can give him in this moment. And he knows his time isn't going to go on here. He knows it's over for him and that this is the best he can give his son. This is it. Uh, And it's something that Will 
won't understand right now. He won't understand it for years, right? Like he can feel like he understands it in the moment, but that's a complex emotion that you just don't get till you're older, till you've experienced life, till you've loved someone, till you've had the opportunity to, you know, be with a community and a family. And Will's been so isolated. It's just, uh, it was a really emotionally tugging scene. As soon as I saw the sniper, too, sneak up on them, I was like, no, it's him. He's gonna do it. And as soon as, uh, as soon as Raina Meaty was eaten by the specter, I was like, no, it's really gonna be this sniper. <laughs> I wasn't like, no, I was like, good. Yeah. Blood. <laughs> but in some ways. I was too, in some ways, but I wanted devil's advocate. I'm so, don't be mad at me. Uh, don't listen to the subtle knife, our last episode, where I talk about how stupid <laughs> this is. It's so Chloe's stupid. like, but both sides. <laughs> but I do want to talk about this because, look, the book ending for Joppery is dumb. Uh, it has a purpose. It's a very vague purpose. Pullman does not do a great job getting it through. It's like a couple pages and the ending's dramatic. It's harsh. It's fast. It's the end to a plot that doesn't get followed up on at all. It's a vague bit of emotion involved where the witch is basically like, someday you'll understand why my heart was so broken that it led me to murder the man I love. Make it make sense. Anyway, Uh, She says, no, I can't explain. You're too young. It wouldn't make sense to you. I loved him. That's all. That's enough. And then she kills herself. Anyways, the thing is, is that while Pullman didn't explain this well, and I'm glad they changed this plot on a very foundational level, Will does someday experience that pain of losing someone who couldn't be his because, A, you don't own people. Check that down, witch. Uh, Two, they're lost between worlds, right? He makes a sacrifice for the love of his life. Uh, and that's a painful sacrifice to make at that young of a time when you've been through all these bonding traumatic incidents. And in the book, yes, there's a little violence. He's angry. He shoves her around. He hurts her because he's hurt. And it's pretty scary. Like, she's afraid of him. And Pullman makes that clear. And that's understandable. Like, your dad just got killed in front of you. Like, yeah, you wouldn't be nice. It's not a very nice plot for the screen. So... I don't think it would have played out in this moment. And I do think that we are going to have a good amount of uh, this hopefully affecting Will's want to battle the authority. They've been using so much strong fascist magisterium Nazi imagery, right? Down to the German submachines they use all series and the uniforms and the magisterium symbol. I'm guessing they're really gunning uh, for will to let that kind of influence him right or to help uh increase that tension and desire to battle the authority yeah yeah probably i mean like i don't know i just the witch plot never made sense to me it still doesn't but yes um they they are definitely playing that up yeah um i definitely prefer this change um i I also do wonder how this will alter or affect will's motives going forward like his dad being uh murdered by a magisterium guy as opposed to a witch and i i would have also hated to see will get violent with the witch considering how much they've Mm -hmm. changed his character a bit he's more as they've established him he's definitely like softer less harsh so in any act of violence he has to do weighs more on him compared to how he is in the books so that would have been jarring to see him get Mm -hmm. that violent not would have gelled today 
as well. So I'm glad they avoided all that. With the whole witch, I also kind of had a feeling they would change this, how how Joppery would die, because mm-hmm. I do, in that conversation with Lee and Joppery, he, uh, Lee asked him to swear on what made you gave up the love of a witch in the book is what Lee says, mm-hmm. but here in the show, it's uh, swear on the love of your boy. So instead of Joppery's, you know, they mm-hmm. totally took out all the connections, like with a possible mm-hmm. witch for Joppery. So again, I have elected that this is a dumbass <laughs> decision, said Jack Thorne. <laughs> yeah, or um, or any of the yeah. women writers. Oh, for sure. Yeah, just right. Like, this I is hope dumb. so. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. I do think that it would also really kind of negate the growth we've seen from Will in this series and series two in general mm-hmm. to have him. Uh, I, I think like the difference in the comparison instead is that they chose for him to then pick up his dad's mantle, literally like yeah. it happens in the book, but to focus on that moment on Will choosing a path to choose to help people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to be that healer and a warrior. He could be both. You could be a warrior and a healer. Look at Serafina, right? Trying to heal Will, but also out there killing Magisterium men. You can be both things. You don't have to be one thing. And I think that for Will to instead choose to don his dad's jacket and to choose that path and not choose violence and not have him show that on TV is much better. Yeah, it's something that uh, his father took that burden on from him in the way that it's... Mm -hmm. And preserved that bit of innocence for him in the way that it's portrayed and... And it's, I think it's noted, you know, you were saying that Lee in the books asked Jopri to swear on whatever made him give up the love of a witch, and it's not mentioned here for Jopri. And I think that that's quite pointed, considering that they have said at least more than once, or hinted more than once, to Lord Asriel having had witch lovers. So mm-hmm. the fact that that's pointed to and it isn't for Jopri, I think, helped kind of drive where this was going for this differentiates the yeah. men a little bit too that's true <laughs> yeah. um i think it's also <laughs> an interesting choice to omit that because i feel like the purpose was that was to kind of like show how devoted Jopery was to elaine mm-hmm. but as you guys have mentioned mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of people have noticed like when he reads his his love for elaine does show through like when they were reading his letters and um Definitely made it more ten- <laughs> definitely Ugh. made it more tender. So I don't think that's something um, that is questioned. So I, it's not necessary to to have to include that just to yeah. prove that point. Yeah, it comes through, and I mean, like again, that's where I mean, I'm not saying that his powers come from not letting, <laughs> but I'm not saying they it doesn't. <laughs> Uh, I'm telling you, he would not have been able to take down those airships had he not been edging for so long. I agree. I agree. Hmm. That's what that's what gives the subtle knife its power. Um, that's the edge. Talk that's about the edge. Uh, oh, no, God, Jesus. You set her up for that. Okay. Oh, that is what part of it's about. But I will say, you know, you know, the change in the scene, I think it does tie well, you know, besides the connection of the witch and the will learning love, I think that the way that they did it here does still connect with the end of the books and the journey and the decisions that Will and Lyra have to make in a couple of ways, including about love. You know, one of them mm-hmm. is Joppery telling Will that he must take the knife to Lord Asriel, that this is Will's path. 
But as as we're seeing, right, as as Cam pointed out at the beginning of the episode, growing up and learning is very much about learning to take your own path, choosing it yourself. And Joffrey says that Will's duty is to take the knife to Azrael, and Will's like, well, shit, your duty was to be my dad. And obviously mm-hmm. Joffrey didn't fulfill that. So Will <laughs> also, you know, he ends up actually never fulfilling this duty that Joffrey says is his, right? He technically never really takes the knife to Lord Azrael. Free Will and the end of Destiny come about regardless, but because Will was following Lyra's, like orders she was like open this bubble we gotta free the old man and and that saves everyone and second you know there's a part in which Joffrey tells Will that he was doing what he could to try to make the universes plural better for his son and you know his inability to get back to Will and his mother he gains a better understanding of the different worlds and and people and through that is trying to help Will and Elaine and it makes me think of that lesson at towards the end, the multiple lessons towards the end of the Amber Spyglass, one of tell them stories, right? This encouragement to one another to learn, to pursue ideas and knowledge at the end of the book, making each other better in that way to help everyone else, including the ones you love, even from afar. And then he talks about like keeping the knife from the magisterium, right? Um, and, and it speaks to like that need to use this power of human capacity for thought, knowledge, and exploration, right? Because if you don't use it, if you don't explore, if you don't have that curiosity, then tyrants, of course, will tear it out of your hands, as they would the knife. They will take whatever edge and power they can get over you. And I, and finally, you know, I think that the hope that Will brings up in that heart-wrenching moment of like, and then we're going to go home together, right, Dad? We're going to go home. And there's this really boyish hope, right? Of course, that the adults in your life, they're going to come home. Your dad's going to come home. Everything's finally going to be right. He's going to fix it. That's what he told Lyra was his dream, that his dad would come home and everything would be right again. And it's the hope that Lyra and Will have for the end of their journey, right? That they're going to finish this all up. They're going to go back and forth between each other's homes. It's going to be beautiful. They're going to be together. And then it it t- still ties into, I think, the way that Joppery dies, right? He sacrifices himself for his son to live. He doesn't get to go home with him. Not everything's fixed. And Will and Lyra don't die yet, but they make this immense sacrifice so that the other might be able to live a full life. And they lose that promise of a home together. I had a revelation as Eliana was saying all this about how Joppery or Jopari, whatever, he, <laughs> you know, his, his next know, he can't get back to his family. The next best, best thing for him to do is to make the world he is in better. And it just makes me think of that line of we have to build the Republic of Heaven wherever we are, because for us, there is no elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's creating a place, a safe place, a, a- a sanctuary, one could call it. Yeah. Sanctuary is a little important, I hear, in this story for some reason, so. It is. Cam, <laughs> oh no, it's that, not that word. <laughs> <sighs> the moral of the story well, is invest in your local government. Uh, no, no it's it not. is, though. Oh my god. Maybe. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> some ways. <laughs> Well, now that we're nice and depressed, uh, this actually starts off a montage that at first you're like, this is depressing, must be a Joppery voiceover, but then you're like, wait a fucking second, that's Lord 
fucking Asriel. I don't even like the guy and I was excited, okay? Wait, would- okay, this is a controversial question. Would we have known that it wasn't Joffrey reading it aloud, but Lord Asriel, if I were better at understanding the British accent? I mean, likely it's more that it's like a- okay, so they're doing a lot of fake-outs in this episode, as we've noticed, right? There's the VFX Mm fake-out about the specters with the witch dress. Uh, There's a couple handful of fake-outs, that misdirection of the rocks and where people were when things were happening. And this, again, is a misdirection because it literally lingers on Joppery and starts saying things that are what you think Joppery would say. He says, I have struggled through many worlds to arrive here. But you know this. I have sacrificed things I did not want to. My fight is not with you. But then you realize, as he goes, but you are the last obstacle between me and my enemy. And you go, wait a second. Because the first three lines literally are just choppery mm-hmm. things. I've sacrificed shit, you know, things I didn't want to sacrifice. And you're like, wow, that's so sad. They're doing a voiceover <laughs> from Jopper as real. Uh, that's that how I shit? felt. I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> Jopper as real? Jopper Uh the speech itself is great. This is, like we said earlier, the end of the four hours. It's the end of the episode that they were going to have filmed, the bottle episode. This was supposed to be the very end of the bottle episode, episode five, that did not happen. Mm. So they were able to harvest it. And Asriel, in this scene, a uh, bunch of stuff is about to happen before we get to the end of his speech. But at the end of the speech, it is him asking the angels to join him. As Cam said earlier... You're either for me or you're against me. Now, which is it? And that is how he ends it to the angels as they appear and they say they are with him. Zephania, more importantly. But before we get to that, Seraphina comes to save Lee, casts a spell to protect his body after kissing him on the forehead. Very important. We see the blood moss on the rocks once more. And then we get Will accepting his fate and his loss, donning his dad's jacket. And ending up in this montage, we see him standing in the sun, wielding the knife in his summoning, uh, parallel to Coulter, Joppery, Lee. It's a powerful scene, Eliana. It's a powerful parallel. Your power, personally. You did this. Uh, but he's he's got this powerful summoning stance. He's standing in the sunlight, looking pretty glorious, and choosing the light. Yeah. Or Jack Thorne in his hat in his strange orange suit. That's his power. Okay. He did that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> Serafina soars into the sky, and we see Eliana's boyfriend, Yorick, <gasps> York Burnson, in the melting Arctic. I love Knife York. Knife bear. York. Knife bear. Uh, wow. Uh, I was excited for you. <sighs> well, Mary steps through a cave to a waterfall where the blue petals are streaming in. There are also some orange and red flowers growing as well, looking out, and she is looking out in wonder. A boat carries Mrs. Coulter, um, who's streaming along the water. Father slash Cardinal McPhail looks angry, and still Marion and Azrael look on as the angels light up the sky, joining his cause to attack and dethrone God! And then Marisa, really very strangely tenderly, is here with this container, this box, on a boat. She and the monkey gaze at it. She opens it and turns out Lyra is inside and she is taking Lyra somewhere that they can be safe. Why? What are you doing? First of all, I thought she had a specter in the box for some reason because I'm stupid. And like at first I was like, oh, she's putting her specters in the trunk. And then I was like, oh, it's Lyra. Never mind. (laughs) Um, Great parallel to... uh... 
to Azriel asking Lyra to hide in a trunk chest, which she also ends up falling asleep in. Oh, yeah. She just loves to sleep. That's true. <laughs> I forgot that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know. I just saw her holding that box a little too tender. I was like, she's in the box, isn't she? She's Very. in the box. <laughs> the whole time. I was like, what's in the box? <laughs> it's a whole, uh, at least it's a whole body. A whole live body, not just a head. But I hope there's holes in there. <laughs> Again, Asriel style. That's true. That is an Asriel thing to Asriel do. with the box. Mm, yeah, no. the head in the box. Asriel did it before the movie 7. How edgy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> How edgy. <laughs> Asriel does not edge to blow up <laughs> magisterium ships. I just want you to know this. No, Joffrey doesn't. does, but Asriel doesn't, and that is the difference between their characters. That is. That's right. That is. Yes, the the... Books do stress the power of Asriel's <laughs> dick. Um, and. Ruda, specifically. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but, you know, keeping Lyra in a box, right? It does highlight the hypocrisy of Marisa. You know, going back to two episodes ago, she accuses Lord Boyle. She's all like, You wouldn't even know what to do with me if you had me. And I'm like, Well, Mrs. Coulter, interesting of you to say that. <laughs> because now you have your daughter, and you're like, I don't know what to do with her. I'm going to put oh, her in a no. box. This is not childcare. This is not no. childcare. I don't have one, but I just know this is not it, yeah, honey. Pretty yeah, sure that's not, not it, what you honey. Do. <laughs> uh, there are no. Yeah, there how are is she breathing like, there? Through the little hole, through uh, the tiny I'm, keyhole. That's for the I'm oh losing my, my breath God. just watching yeah. that. Okay. <sighs> you know this wasn't the it last wasn't. scene, though, right, everyone? You guys, Interesting. You guys, you guys. I at this point of the episode, I had completely forgotten about this. Like really? I was like, I'm so fulfilled. I was just fulfilled, and I was like, what could the end scene be? Well, that's not true. I did think it could happen. Still, I was like, could it be Mulefa or is it Roger? And when it was Roger, I was just like, yeah, woo, yeah, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And then I did like a jig around the apartment. Uh, I. It's just nice. It's nice to have one thing I'm right for. You know what I mean? It's not just one, but yes. <laughs> Mostly I one. was like, damn, One-ish. Chloe called it. <laughs> it's the perfect way to end a season. It's stupid not to. Uh, it's like completely just dumb not to end the season this way because A, they want to move a few things forward, right? We have eight episodes next series. As we said, we got a lot to get through. And they are moving things forward and getting places and people like to the places in time so that they can start their plot off right. We didn't get Baruch and Balthamos. We wanted them badly, but it was shot and the scene was tonally just not right. Eliana and I have talked a little together before this about how I think that could have been a little bit of an awkward scene to just all of a sudden then have at the end Will finding the angels or the angels finding him and him being pissed off. Being like, where's my girlfriend? <laughs> all right. Where my girlfriend at? It's bad. It's bad news. <laughs> but I think that's fine. Like I'm fine without seeing mm-hmm. them. We still got angels, and I think the Asriel scene was tonally better as far as that building a better world for your kids theme going on there. Even if he doesn't really, you know, isn't doing it for his child, just doing it for you know, <laughs> I don't know clout. No one knows. He's but... an influencer. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Asriel's like, if I get 2.4 million likes on this photo, I'll attack and dethrone God. But 
I am glad they had that as the post credit scene, though. I, I remember, what was it? Um, it also in the Q&A that they had after the episode aired, Jack Lord was saying that in the writer's room they were discussing and they felt like Roger is really, the, in many ways, the heart of the story, or is a big part of that, so glad that they brought that in. Um, yeah. As for Baruch and Balthamos, which, yes, of course, we were expecting it to be here at the end, uh, because that's what happens in the books, and why it would feel off to only- I mean, it, it does, right? Like, I mean, had this Azrael scene happened in the bottle episode, in episode five, um, when we thought it would- or not when we thought it would, when mm-hmm. Jack Thorne thought it would, right? That gives us some time to establish, like, angels, right? And be like, wow, angels, and be, like, super wowed by how cool and majestic and mysterious they are, right? Before you get that sudden, like, jarring, like, here's Baruch and Balthamos, and they don't give a shit about your girlfriend. And I yeah, mean, they totally of, off. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. It's a great subversion if you have enough time with the angels, but here you don't. Yeah. For sure. And it allows us to kind of sit with our grief for all those who were lost in this episode. So that definitely would have shifted the tone. Yeah. But I would have wanted to see them, but it's okay. It is. I I did. I'm glad we got it in the angel scene, right? Like that was definitely the, what we got was we got Zephania and the other angels in the sky instead. And I think that we'll get a lot of angels next season. I'm I'm very excited mm-hmm. for a lot of things in series three, and I know you two have to be as well. So what are we looking forward to in series three? I'm looking forward to a lot of meetings for sure. I like seeing like characters who've never, you know, interacted mm-hmm. before. Especially in this season, we got a lot of like characters that we never got to that never got to meet in the book. Do it this season. So you know, I mean, in season three, we, we do have a lot of like meetings, like, but I do want to see, you know, Will with the angels. I think that's going to be such a funny dynamic. <laughs> um, at, well, it'll add some levity for sure to that season because it's going to be brutal. Uh, and Will meeting the knife bearer, meeting the knife bear, aka Yorick. Yes. <laughs> um, and Kriava. So, how she's yes. going to. Yeah. Oh my god, that's true. In the subtitles Beautiful. of um this episode where <laughs> he is telling Jopri to go find the knife bearer, it actually said yeah, bear. I noticed that. Of bearer. I, I, I had to like... screenshot that too, because I was like, he says knife, he says bear, so. Hashtag confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> usually those captions are like really on point, so that's really funny. Like, those are the ba- BBC iPlayer captions. I am amazed by that's been my favorite thing of the whole series honestly <laughs> oh it's been so good i'm like they have different colors and you can follow them it's, it's true, just great yeah. really visually great but yeah that's um right. this show is gonna get weird it you is. guys this show is gonna get so weird and i don't think anyone's even ready for it like uh king agunway oh. was cast is what it sounds like he was in the bottle episode so I think there's a handful of people that are already cast that were in the bottle episode that are probably forming Asriel's board eventually. I'm excited about the angels, of course, and seeing them maybe look a little more humanoid up close. I'm mm. guessing they will reveal themselves to Will and we'll be able to kind of make out more features on them. Uh, and hello, Chevalier, Tialis, and Lady Selmachia. Uh, that's the only thing I care about. That's what that and Mulefa, that's all I'm here for. I am here for that. Absolutely. 
I'm interested if they can get me to change my mind on Lord Asriel. I don't know if they can, because I've had quite a bit to solidify. But, like, they did on Lord Boreal. But granted, I didn't have a strong opinion about Lord mm-hmm. Boreal already at all. So, mm-hmm. and, and, but, like, if Aryan Picari's performance did such a good job on moving me on Lord Boreal, could James McAvoy do that for me for Lord Asriel? Yeah. I don't know. It's a question I have. I mean, the witches. They did good with the That's witches, true. and I think James McAvoy can act his uh-huh. ass off. I mean, that I mean, scene, can. that one Asriel moment, that was good. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like, I, I like a lot of James McAvoy stuff, so I'm just like, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if I'll be sold ever on Asriel. Exactly. be sold on a selfish <laughs> man like that? But, I mean, in the end, they did okay, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, everyone fucking loves Asriel, but yet when Marisa does something crazy, they're like, there she is again, being crazy. <laughs> in world, but it, here in this world, you know, people are like, wow, yeah, she's amazing. I, yeah, she is the one. She is. <laughs> <laughs> They've really done a lot to to focus <laughs> the story. Yeah, that too. About focus that. the story on her end. But yeah, I'm especially... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> right, right, Very right. I'm um, excited to see Malefa. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yes, Mary, Mary plot, Mary yes. plot, Mary plot, Mary plot. <sighs> I can't believe it's over. I know. I'm not excited to see I'm the so end sad. of this. Uh, no one, no one. Oh uh, yeah, we can wait on that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I I don't know. I'm torn. I'm just torn. Of course, I want to see it, but of course, I'm also like, oh my god. No, not ready. I no. Yeah. I, not only that, but like, how are they going to make it as painful as it was on the pages? They have a lot of work to do. It's not their fault. Like, I, I'm not saying it like they can't. I'm just saying yeah. they have a lot of work to do. This has got to be heart wrenching. They have a lot of. They've done a good lot of great setup, but they got yeah, a lot I'm more to do. Yeah, worry about the pace of how they're going to pace the episodes next season, especially because mm-hmm. you know, season three, we start off with Will and Lyra separated, and I just wonder how they're going to you know, if they're going to prolong or how long that search for Lyra is going to be, because by the time we will finds Lyra, I don't know what episode we'll be on. We'll be like what quarter of the season through. And then, you know, you, Mm -hmm. I feel like those last pages of the book are so like, it's just hit after hit. So you need that build up to, to get there emotionally. Like, I don't want to get there that fast <laughs> i want it to build up there so i uh, we'll see if they can do that in eight episodes yeah yeah wake well i was gotta girl. wake up after like two to three episodes tops <laughs> but you know like, they can't keep going for a while they have to wake her up after a couple episodes so i wonder how fast that will go because you can't have your two main actors like uh-huh. half and half no. the whole se- you just can't do it uh so I don't know. I don't, we'll have to see. I, I I trust them. I trust them. I don't know if they have enough in book material to draw it out more than like an episode. Mm. That's kind of what I wonder. I wonder if it's gonna be like Jon Snow style. You know how we were all like Jon Snow in the show <laughs> isn't gonna come back, blah, blah, blah. and then all of a sudden Jon Snow was back. Uh, yeah. I think they have to make it fast. I I don't think they can hold out on it because mm-hmm. Lyra has a lot to get done. Yeah, for sure. I would say two episodes max, or like part of the second episode. Yeah, that's all. I'll, I that's all I'll allow. So, at Jack Thorne. Yes. It's just too much. I will, 
if you're listening, I'll make yes. sure this gets to the right parties. We're going to email it out. Make sure they know. But Sorry. this is all we will allot yeah. you. Two episodes. <laughs> two episodes. <laughs> unless, unless they make the season longer. In which case, you know. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Well. Cam. Yeah. This has been oh a blast. Gosh. Thank you for coming on to get really oh, of fucking sad anytime, with us. Anytime. Oh, my gosh. I'm glad I could do this with you. Oh, did I? Yeah. <laughs> This is like this is I weird because I've never like talked. I was telling Eliana earlier that I I don't know anyone in real life who's read the books like I have. So like these books have been kind of like living in my head for like the past fifteen years, and suddenly I'm here like talking about it on a podcast. So <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I love it. Like what a time to be a fan um, of this show of these books and the show we have the show so i'm glad it could be with you guys for sure oh well now you have two oh. now you have two friends oh, no. we might be worlds away but every single night we can meet on skype at the same time and look up at the same moon well not the same moon that's ridiculous every <laughs> night but. at the same time when the sun goes down <laughs> i'm just you know yep yep oh, okay. so <laughs> With that note, Cam, Manuel, Miranda, (laughs) please tell us Uh, where we can find you. I'm kidding. On the internet. Not at Ariane69. (laughs) At Candid59 (laughs) on Twitter, where you'll find me shitposting and getting sad a lot about this series. (laughs) Um, Well, I don't know. It's going to be quite the wait for season three, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hopefully the Twitter <laughs> will keep people occupied in the meantime. Lots of caches of oh, some sad for posts. Sure. What was my last tweet? Oh, I was talking about a fanfic because Chloe was talking about my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Inspiring. But, you Inspiring. know, miracles happen. Kim, you're a goddamn treasure. Uh, I'm a goddamn treasure, and we're very yeah, lucky thank to have you. you. Absolutely. I, I was thinking about how full circle we've come because I remember my my review for you guys. <clears throat> I called you guys funny, <laughs> and you guys thought oh. I was funny. I was like, oh shit, Aww. oh shit. Wow. Maybe we have I the know. same sense of Could be it. Like, that could be it. Could be. Well, make sure to check out Cam's Twitter and make sure you check out our Twitter as well. You can find us over at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, on Twitter. Or shoot us an email if you want to chat his dark materials. Send us photos of your animals at home, your own <laughs> demons, so to say. That's girlsgonecanon at gmail.com, C-A-N-O-N. Yes. And of course, you can find us on most platforms. You can find it. Well, actually, I don't know if that's true or not. When I say most, I don't know how many platforms are out there, but you can find us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Podbean, where this is all hosted. <laughs> yes. And if that is not enough for you, an easy place to get updates on everything we'll be doing is over on Patreon.com slash GirlsGoneCanon. Patrons in the Stranger tier, the $5 tier and above, get special episodes every other month. It's His Dark Materials themed, and every other other month, it is A Song of Ice and Fire themed. The other series that we cover, 
this episode, this month, our special episode will be His Dark Materials themed on the music in, around, and out of the worlds of His Dark Materials. We will be joined by the spectacular, not spectacular, dust podcast. (laughs) And that is Matt and Holly. They'll be joining us to talk about the music of HDM. We can't wait. So check that out. It has been a wonderful season with you all. A wonderful series of His Dark Materials series two. We have enjoyed chatting every week with you about the show on Monday nights. And keep tuned in because we will be continuing LaBelle Sauvage and hopefully we will be on to the Amber Spyglass uh, by mid-year summer So keep an eye out for that. As always, I have been Chloe, one of your hosts. And I have been Eliana, another one of your hosts. And again, thank you so much, Cam, for joining us yeah. for this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Always. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha